hate to leave a lonely Ring ring went the iPhone, it was my homie He said let's hit Japan, if we can make them jam We can make a hundred grand, spend it in the south of France Nothing further, I jump, grab my Goyard trunk Got ready to walk it out like Unk in my John Lennon Chucks That's when I heard murder, you're killing me and filling me with sorrow Sunrise goodbyes and missing you tomorrows I turn to see my dream love, supreme queen Ain't a thing gonna sing, cry I drop my bags in the flash, that's faster than 180 on the dash to dry your tears and wipe the rain from my dear like Dasher. Use the name, who's the username to all my passwords? The reason I get fly is I've been Jasper. I even keep your picture in my passport. Love, love. All right, we are back. And, uh, Quentin, uh, you've had a pretty late week, it seems, when it comes to podcasting. Uh, I was out doing the, the big heavy lifting, talking to Royce Isaacs about winning the, the DDT Ironman Heavy Metalweight Championship and, and wrestling against Taguchi. And meanwhile, you were just taking time off. Um, no, but uh, if anyone has seen on the feed, on top of all of the awesome brand new podcasts on the feed that uh, that I referenced on the last episode telling people to check it out, the top 100 matches of the decade came out. So, uh, Quentin, how are you feeling about the podcast, the behemoth, that's uh, not completely out, but almost completely there at this point? Um, it was a lot of work. Like, this um, is the most expensive thing that me and Brock have done thus far you know trying like and like really trying to cram in like eight months of work or five five years of work with within eight months because we didn't obviously me and brock weren't always doing the top 100 uh we started it doing 20 counting like doing 2016 so really everything that we had from 2015 and before is really like a but like eight months crammed in uh they're really you know most people would have taken longer for that. So it's a lot, a lot of work went into it. It was very tiring. 
And as you see, just from part one, part one, you know, is barely below the SoundCloud limit for uh, for uploading podcasting. But I like I like how they turned out. I hope people like them. But yeah, a lot of a lot of work went went into those. Yeah, almost seven hours. Um, it's definitely well worth it to, for people to check out. Some psychopaths have already started getting into it. Part two came out earlier today as we record. Um, maybe yesterday. Only, only four hours. Only yeah, real sparse four hours on that one. Um, but so to help, I guess to help cover up in case you're you're a little bit fatigued, in case you're uh, running on fumes here, we brought in a first time guest, first time podcast guest in general, possibly. Um, you know him online from a lot of different things, including I guess I don't know if it's a completely public thing, but running a I think a relatively popular uh, Joshi uh, Discord. Uh, we've got the JML here. Uh, how you doing today, Jay? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and then yeah, okay. Yeah, JML is um like yeah, me me and him have talked about like doing something like for a while. So like you know, it's, it's funny. Like I've always I've kind of had like JML's like podcast debut like in my back pocket for a while that we like planned on doing like something for Psychology of Dead at some point. Yeah, and it felt it felt out of nowhere yeah. to me, but uh, but I'm happy to to be along for the ride. Yeah, I figured I'm working at home now because of the pandemic, but I figured, hey, I'm at home now. I have somewhat of a microphone and, and set up here at home now, finally, so I can record properly with you guys, you know. Yeah, and this is your uh, your podcast debut, and we brought you in as I talked about your uh, kind of known for the Joshi, the Joshi fandom that you have. Um and we brought you in to talk for our first time. I think this is our first time on the podcast. We're our, maybe not our first time talking about Joshi at all, but definitely the first time where kind of our main topic for this week is going to be Joshi. We're going to talk about Stardom, a uh, recent big show in Budokan. Um, what is it? Is it Princess or Cinderella? Um, All-Star all Cinderella, I'm pretty all sure, All-Star right? Cinderella, yeah. Yep, All-Star Cinderella. And was it also... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, was it also an anniversary show, or am I incorrect in thinking that? Well, it coincides with, I mean, they already had their 10th anniversary show, but it it, it just coincides with with everything, so... Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so big big stardom show, big stipulation in the main event, thought we'd talk about it, and JML threw down the gauntlet, uh said i'll i'll come on and of course we're gonna do it and i i started out the year by saying that i wanted us to get a little bit more joshi flavor on the podcast because that'll push me to watch a little bit more of it um but yeah i guess <laughs> i guess to start out the topic i i i mentioned it to you guys before and i wanted to see what you guys had to say because i i honestly do just care about hearing your opinions on it but uh the new retooling of apollo cruz a guy who i've been a big fan of since the uha nation days um bringing some of his background in real life and even some maybe some uh on internet subculture to the wwe screen i want to know uh kind of what your guys opinion on it because there has been a little bit of uh, people talking about it and i think it's people who maybe don't necessarily have a good idea of uh the background and everything else involved. So yeah, I don't. Either one of you guys can kind of give your thoughts and kind of go back and forth if you like. Um, well, for me, well, for me, I think that uh, the main issue that I have with this, and this goes with any kind of like embracing of heritage, 
that WWE does is that it usually comes with a heel turn or like more heelish behavior to be like proud of where you're from, but then you're not white and proud where you're from. Like, like obviously, like, like anything that's uh, involving America and being super pro-American throughout the history uh, of, you know, wrestling really has always been, like, you know, the babyface thing. But even something as being, like, English, being British in some capacity, like, still makes you a heel. So imagine how much worse it gets if you're celebrating... Uh, Mexican heritage or Nigerian heritage or Samoan heritage in like all these different things like even now Roman Reigns is getting this big heel run now and Roman Reigns always should have been a heel but his heel run is coinciding with him also taking pride in his in, in his heritage and like it gets kind of distasteful and always has been a t- distasteful thing for them and Apollo Crews is uh just the next in line in that where Everything that everything that Apollo Cruz is saying, like, well, one of the things he said, like, I guess we could talk about, but like, like, but everything that he's doing and like embracing shouldn't be necessarily viewed as heelish, but they're like taking someone who has like a very real like background and connection to these things and then making and then being proud of that is also a bad thing too. It's uh, it's very weird and very like kind of like crazy ground that they walk on on a regular basis to do stuff like that. But as far as like just embracing heritage, like I don't think there's any, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that the main issue comes with WWE presenting that kind of thing like you're a bad guy now because you're proud that you're Nigerian. Like to me that's what makes it uh hard to want to watch. Yeah, like Quinn said, um you know, WWE's history is really based, it's really looked on having anything other than being American looked down upon. I mean, when he, when he was talking about it, I was thinking of, you know, Bret Hart being pro-Canadian. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like that stuff. And um, and also thinking in my mind, if you talk, if you want to go to, for like, like a pure American standpoint, I mean, I think of somebody like Mustafa Ali, it's just like really American compared to any other person on the roster, but they won't go that route. I mean, he, when you think about it, he has a fam, he has the family, two kids, whatever, deeply religious, was a former cop. Like that's something you would think about an American, but it's not, it, he's never been portrayed as that. And that's kind of bothered me. And when you have something like Apollo Cruz now, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm not bothered by it at all, but at this, not bothered by him embracing his Nigerian side. But at the same time, I know what's going to come with WWE. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to think about. One thing that popped in my head was Quentin was talking about it um, as like Anglo or, or whatever uh, heritage and being a heel um, also happening was I was thinking about Seamus, but then I was like, ah, like Seamus has never had like a, a proud of his irish heritage he's it's like because i was thinking like he's a baby face oh god seamus was like like a a gigantic heel like super strong irish accent wearing like the uh the celtic uh necklace and like it being like all over like you know his trunks and like in his tron like yeah like 
like even even with some, even with like you know like with white people like when you like have like a, when you're coming from a different heritage like they like definitely like you know go strong heel with you drew Mac you know drew mcintyre you know even for a while was like you know strong heel because he's foreigner with strong accent and also not american like it's a thing that like even goes beyond the scope of like race at this point and just like a real like nationalism and american exceptionalism idea yeah and it's weird because it, it's it's not the ethos of the like vincent j mcmahon like vince's Vince's father what the promotion used to be like with bruno san martino and and other other wrestlers like it's it's never been that like when you compare it to this era it's it's totally flipped and i guess i guess hogan was the I guess the Hogan was a turning point when when Vince pushed him to be this all American guy. But you look at Bruno and you look at um, Tino you know, Rocca, like yeah, yeah, even like even even like even though he was like well, you know more heel, but even like a Pedro Morales came to be on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and you mentioned Hogan there, and it's it's funny because there is that story about uh, Hogan that I mean, with the last name Hogan, he was going to be an Irish American uh, stereotype gimmick, and but he. He said, oh, my hair is already falling out. I don't want to dye it, you know, bright red to, to play up, which is funny because he couldn't have been a blonde guy and just be fucking Irish. He had to have the bright red hair. Um, but because he didn't dye it, they never turned up the caricature stereotype side of the story and made him be this Irish-American character. And who knows what would have happened? Because, yeah, like, who knows what would have happened with Hogan? Would he have been as big of a star if he had been the Irish-American? Maybe, like you mentioned, Bruno and the way it used to be, but he was that turning point in being all-American and, and born in the USA and all that stuff. So it is interesting to think about because, I mean, it's part of it's part of wrestling's weird history, especially with someone like Vince McMahon being in charge of the biggest company for so long and his weird just hatred for anything that he looks down upon as not being you know classy or not being of the upper crust he's he's really you know born and raised in a trailer park and and really wants to like fight against those roots when wrestling historically has been tied closely to minorities and lower people in lower class you know people in general forever i mean the fans have hugely been like of those people that's why someone like bruno san martino being the strong you know italian american superman spoke to that to that group the minority people and that's why wrestling works for those groups in a lot of ways is because wrestling is 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 booked and it's one of the few places where the fucking underdog can win and the italian american guy can get a leg up even if you know the the white the the you know purely white people in charge and the wasps and the people running the show can't hold you down in wrestling because you know it's booked so you get to win the guy you get to actually see him win it's not like in the real world so it is interesting to think that vince turns that so much on his ear and 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 hogan a guy that people talk about like oh hogan always wrestled like a heel and he wrestled like a bully even though he's a baby face it's like the complete opposite it was like yeah the fucking the big white american boss who's got like fucking writes your checks and also picks on you and you're supposed to cheer for him but it worked i guess um um also like I will say that, like, when Apollo was doing his promo, like, when he, like, even when he had the, like, said, had the line of, like, said, like, he was like, I'm not from the hood, and, th- and that, and then, like, he had this, uh, he came out again when he challenged Big E for a, t- for a title shot, and he had, like, people in, in like, military uh, attire with him, and, like, you know, 
just kind of doesn't look the best with like the whole SARS thing going on to then be accompanied by people yeah. like in 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 military garb but like those two things like that's all that's really bothered me so far like the like the military thing was like uh guys that's probably not the best thing to do right now <laughs> Yeah, no, no, definitely. And one one thing that had crossed my mind, and I think I saw it referenced, and I've seen very little of what's going on at the angle. I've watched some of his entrances. I've, I like the new look, but the thing that crossed my mind, and I mentioned to you guys before, is that there is a little bit of a subculture online. I've I've stumbled across it on Twitter, where it's like the literally still in Africa or uh, like direct first generation African immigrants having a kind of a negative look and a, a really shitty opinion of, you know, African-Americans who are descendants of slaves or even just long-term, like, you know, many generations of having been in America. Um, and so, like, the feud with with Apollo Crews and Big E felt like, oh, could that lead to that kind of storyline? Because, uh. you know, but <laughs> Cruz is not that kind of guy. So I, 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 when the idea first popped in my head and I even, like I said, maybe heard it mentioned somewhere. It's like, oh, that's possible. But I just don't know that Apollo Cruz has that personality to pull something like that off. What do you, what do you think? I just feel like either way, that's like territory that you don't really don't want to go down. Definitely not. Yeah. Like, like either way, that's territory that you don't really want to touch. Cause like even with Big E and like being a babyface there, like that could possibly get like super xenophobic in some ways. Like like just like going in, like just like looking at like the very real reality that like people that like are, like follow that Edo stuff are you know fought like have like super xenophobic beliefs. That like if that it became a thing about like you know. Gener- like you know, generationally, and like you know, Big E's family, who's probably who's probably who's been here longer than uh, than Apollo than Apollo's family, and like them going back and forth, like I can imagine like it getting into territory that would like at least like make me and JML and like some other people like super uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, because it's it starts to break out as diaspora wars, and it's just yeah. not nothing. It's not something you don't want to see it, on, not, on natural TV. Not in WWE, like like you know, like especially not here. You don't want to see like Vince, like Vince McMahon and Triple H's and Adam Pierce and whoever the fuck is writing anymore. You don't want to see their interpretation of like diaspora diaspora wars, like they're hosting like some clubhouse room. Like you don't want to see this. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, well, that was the and with Biggie. Oh, go ahead. No, I was I was saying with Biggie, his his family's Jamaican, so oh my that, god, oh. that adds another element to it. Like you just don't want to. It's it's re if they're gonna. I'm I'm interested what they're gonna do heading into Mania, but it's gonna be a real fine line how they're gonna approach this. Yeah, the thing about it, too, is that on paper, these are two of my guys, like, out of all the people who are in WWE, I talked about being a big fan of Uha Nation even before he got there, and Big E, I loved Big E when he was doing the five-count gimmick in, in NXT, so realistically, the idea that they're having a big-time feud over a championship and theoretically building to a Mania match should be intriguing and exciting just on its face for only that, so it is kind of a bummer that the it seems like the focus is on is there weird race baiting going on with, with Apollo Cruz's new new uh, gimmick? Because that's really the only thing I've heard anyone talking about. No one's talking about the quality of the matches or hype or getting into the, the, the program, you know? 
Yeah, like it completely completely overshadows like what should be a cool moment for, for two guys like you know, Biggie finally getting a push that he deserves and um, uh, Apollo getting a spot getting a spotlight that he's like gotten kind of gotten more push as the year has went on, but starting to see a guy like him, uh, both of them get spots like that should be really nice to see, especially going with like. Sasha and Bianca Belair being like you know presumably one of the main events on one of the nights of WrestleMania like this should feel important. Bobby Lashley the Hurt Business like this it should feel that way, but like I said there's a there's a there's a thin line they're walking, and like it also gets to like territory that I like you know, um you know, little uh, I guess sneak peek <laughs> of uh, the third part of Psychology is Dead, but like something I talk about with like Brian versus Kofi as it winds up on my list. It's like, yeah, all this is cool, but, like, it doesn't really, like, mean shit in the grand scheme of things either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Sasha and Bianca, I really think that, I don't, I don't know, because tonight, because we're recording on Friday, they're booking it, they're booking a segment with, with them and Kevin Owens, and I really want to, after, after this, I really want to see how they portray them, because that could get real dicey as well, because... Just not just there's this the stand wars that that will happen online, but also just how two black women can be perceived on television. Like it's not it's it's gonna be really, really interesting, but also really weird watching that heading into a big mania program. Yeah, that's that's definitely exciting, and I just have to call. I mean, it's been a while since I've done one of these. I have to call it out because I fucking drives me insane every time I listen to to Meltzer. And I know JML actually listens to Meltzer, uh, so he's probably heard this too. But every time Meltzer seems to fucking try to minimize just how much of an athlete Bianca is, um, and just how talented she is, he like feels the need to constantly point out every woman that could possibly be a better actual like outside of wrestling athlete than her um now that he's gotten called out for overlooking how good of like how much of a top level competitor she is it's fucking ridiculous um that's just it drives me crazy because yeah i mean sasha how good she was at her peak and how talented bianca is since the first time i saw her that's another match that could easily like main event be one of the best matches on the both nights of wrestlemania and uh we'll see where they go because yeah the storyline side of it does seem like it's falling a little bit flat they're like they're like making that match sell itself, really. Like, they're like just making it. Hey, two black women are in like are in an important match. Like, they're really not doing anything in the way of like making it feel like they care about this. They're much more in. They're, they're much more invested in setting up this Edge versus Ro- Edge versus Roman Reigns, or even like Bobby Lashley versus Drew. Because the only reason they even took it, took it off of uh, Drew in the first place was so Drew can win the title in front of a crowd. Like yeah. they're much more interest they're much more interested in doing that stuff. Uh or feel like they need to do more to build that stuff than anything involving Sasha and Bianca, which sucks because like this to me is like your biggest match on WrestleMania. Like Edge ca- like clearly from a from a casual perspective, Edge versus Roman Reigns is big quote unquote dream match stuff. But to me like this is like easily your most important match on the show and it feels like you're not doing anything with it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine any point in, in the history of wrestling that it would have crossed my mind that Edge versus Roman Reigns would be a dream match, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, of course. So, so, yeah, like that that whole thing is, is falling very flat to me. Um, 
I guess we can move on. Um, <laughs> took a little bit longer in a, a WWE diversion than I meant to. I apologize. Um, but Jay, you brought up that you watched the uh, AEW Revolution. I watched it as well. Um, I think I watched most of it live and have gone back and rewatched a good amount of it um, since. But uh, I guess start out the buy-in. Did you watch the buy-in match? Because I did not. Um, I have heard, you know, again, Meltzer, it was the, the, one of the worst matches in the history of wrestling. Um, just terrible. Did you, did you happen <laughs> to watch it? I did. I've seen a lot worse. I mean, the only thing, it, it didn't bother me because, I mean, I've seen Makito. I mean, I don't, the thing is, I don't pay attention to TJPW that much, um, as much as I want to, not as much as other people that watch Yoshi, but um, to me, this is like regular stuff from her. The only thing I was taken aback was her being there in the first place. Right. Like her flying in the day before, I was just like, wait, she's not going to quarantine? Like, to me, that just that just kind of bothered me. But other than that, the, the match was, it is what it, it was. What it, was. it got fun at the end, um, in my eyes. But to me, it's it's it wasn't that bad. I've seen, I've seen a lot worse. I know. And it might be, I, might, I have to look the look at the car, but I think there was, there was some matches that I thought were worse than that. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to me, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bothered by Maki Ito, you know, wrestling. I mean, she is what she is. Yeah, she's fine. I mean, I don't. It's crazy for me for that people say she's horrible. Um, I, everything I've seen from her, I don't think she's horrible. Now, primarily, I've seen her in tags. Uh, I saw some of her single stuff in uh, in the tournament in AEW beforehand, and it was like fine, but obviously kind of idiot proofing stuff. Um, I think she had like one match in the tournament basically. Um, but yeah, like I've seen a ton of her, her doing tag team stuff and it's big personality, but it works. I mean, that's part of wrestling. Like wrestling is working the crowd, (laughs) you know, that, that is part of wrestling. It's not all about, uh, you know, the physical stuff and, 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 and the spots and everything. So I do think like she never really looks out of place and there's a lot of wrestlers who do, who are a lot worse. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty easy to find something worse on, on this show, um, than this match, but open it up young bucks, inner circle, um, seen some, some hate on this for, you know, seeming people saying this was supposed to be a blood feud and the young bucks wrestled like any of their other matches. Um, I don't argue that they, they didn't switch this up as much as maybe people think that they should have, but I also would argue, I don't think that this was set up as a blood feud. I think that the the elite and the inner circle were setting up to um, blood and guts like a year ago, and at that time it felt like they were setting up to a blood feud. But since then, they did the stadium stampede. They've done a bunch of goofy shit. Chris Jericho and MJF did a fucking musical. Like to me, we're at a point here where this match was about the inner circle issues and and MJF and Jericho more than the Young Bucks versus the inner circle. It didn't to me. This was not set up as a blood feud so why would you expect the young bucks to wrestle this as a blood feud type match like that that was a a very very silly critique as far as i was concerned that i was hearing from people um i it felt like people grasping at straws oh go ahead sorry to jump sorry to jump in there like i i didn't get to see the show but 
is that is that is that people we're, t- we're talking about? Like I saw people saying that, like, oh, is this supposed to be this and that? And I'm sitting there, like, I haven't been able to watch AEW like as much lately, but I hadn't seen anything that like looked like it was a big angle between like the Bucks and the Inner Circle to make well, to, to, to like, like I, I hadn't seen that. Like, had any of that any of that happened? Well, on on the TV, I f- I forgot which which show it was. Maybe it was the week before or the or two weeks before they 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 basically. Did a blade job and with uh with Young Buck's dad, I forgot his name. Oh yeah. Like they beat him up and and busting up in front of the, the truck with the Young Bucks Im- image on it and put put blood on it, whatever. So Okay. I think that's why people were saying this should have been a blood feud, but to me I totally forgot it once I would start watching it. Like it it's, I don't know. It's just that that angle just didn't connect with me, but that's if that's just me, but I thought I, I agree with Tim. Like it was just it just just didn't feel like it. it felt more like what what MGF and Jericho were doing at the time. Yeah, yeah. I guess that that's fair. I do think I get I I completely forgot about that part of it. But there was also like there's the fucking promo where the Young Bucks are are saying that you know uh, MJF wouldn't be in wrestling and and Jericho would be curtain jerking on NXT if it wasn't for AEW, right? So it's like. To say it's a blood feud, it's like the Young Bucks were already, I think that was after the angle, were already joking around, like turning it into jokes. So, I don't know, I, I think it's pretty easy to forget and overlook that there was a, a blood angle with their dad, which I guess should have been a big deal and probably should have been saved for a spot where they were actually going to make it mean something. Because clearly that was not the point. I mean, coming out of this, the point was the inner circle. And we see that on the AEW following this, like it was about building to the inner circle stuff. So... The match itself was fine. Uh, you know, you're only going to get so much out of Jericho at, at this point. MJF, uh, I think, I won't say reverting, but I was seeing a lot better wrestling out of MJF in the indies before he showed up in uh, in AEW. And and then, I don't know, I, I, I honestly think that MJF started getting worse in ring when he signed to MLW because it really felt like well, I'm doing TV wrestling now and I'm going to focus on that. And he's lost a lot of his focus on actually trying to improve in ring. So that's not to say that he couldn't do it again, because I think that he's got the base there. He's got good training. He comes from a, a, from one of the better wrestling schools in Creative Pro. So I think he's got the basics there. You can see that. He never comes across like he's a bad wrestler, but you can definitely see that he's a guy that if he's not focusing on his wrestling, at like the actual in ring wrestling, it takes a backseat to, you know, the crowd and the work and all of that stuff. And, in AEW, if they're going to want him to be a main eventer at some point, which I think they do, he's going to need to learn how to do both more frequently because this is a company with a lot of really talented guys who can do it all and don't necessarily like kind of phone it in when it comes to in-ring when it's time to, uh, when they're like kind of trying to focus on the character stuff. But uh, what did you think of the match, I guess, Jay? Um, I thought the match was good. Um, I... I, I... I guess going through my star ratings, my Kiki star ratings, uh, I went three and a half. I mean, it was, it started off, it started off okay and then ended good. I was, I was surprised with it. I came in with low expectations for this match and, and, and they kind of delivered. Um, I'm not the biggest 
Young Bucks fan. I know Tim, you are, but <laughs> I'm I'm not. But they they entertain me for for the opening for opener. Yeah, they entertain me. So I think I thought it did his job. I think historically, Quentin's a bigger Young Bucks fan than me. But uh, but I think we're both we're uh, big that fans. That 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 can't be that can't be. I true. think it's true. <laughs> I think it's true. Maybe I've been a fan longer. So if you add everything up and average it out, but uh, uh, Quentin's Quentin's uh, fandom burns brighter. Um, Follow this up. You get the uh, Casino Tag Team Battle Royal. Um, I don't have much to say except for I just think the formatting was done really well. Um, I think that they went really quickly through the through the people. Nothing dragged. Um, I think that we'll talk about a Battle Royal later where I think that this Battle Royal could have been an influence to them. Where uh, I think that letting some segments go longer and some go shorter is smart. Um as opposed to kind of sticking to the uh, sticking to the numbers, like they kind of did here, where they had the countdown clock going the whole time. Um, so yeah, that. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, a lot. Of, there's a lot of talent in here. There's a lot of stuff. I think for me, the standout is like uh, what's his name, Bear Bronson. I mean, not the standout, but one thing that stood out to me in this match was Bear Bronson and just how big he is. I'm like, is he the biggest fucking guy they have under contract? He might actually. Oh, I guess Big Show. Um, if you count that as contract, but. Uh, uh, not yeah. specialty wrestlers. Bear Bronson feels like he's like the fucking biggest wrestler that they have. Who's like a regular wrestler. It's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I would have hoped for more here. Well, who's, uh, Mass, oh, go ahead. who's Max Caster's uh, tag team partner? Bowens? I forgot his name. Bowens? Yeah, Bowens. He's a pretty big dude. Is he? Yeah, to me, oh, okay. he looks like a big dude. Yeah, I, to me, I, I don't know. For some reason, I thought that they're about the same size. Max Caster and Bowens. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Um, yeah, but but Caster Caster's like probably one of those deceptively tall guys because he wrestles smaller. Um, but yeah, and then gotcha. and then Benoni. Okay. I guess Benoni's pretty tall too. Actually, I didn't think about that. Um, but yeah, what did you think about the uh, the battle royal here, Jay? I thought thought it was okay. Um, the one thing that stuck out to me was uh, the QT Marshall like angle him leaving, but and but other than that, I. I didn't re- it didn't really didn't really offend me or anything like that. Um, I'm interested to see what where the QT Marshall stuff goes. Honestly, that's the only thing that kind of even even with the uh, even with Phoenix and, and Pentagon, I mean, almost Pentagon, Phoenix and Pac. Um, to me, the QT Marshall stuff's more intriguing to me. I don't know. Yeah, but. I can see that. I could definitely one thing that I think is is kind of a bad omen, maybe or or just a bad sign from this is theoretically they have claimed in the past that uh, Ethan Page is really good at putting together these battle royals. He was involved in putting together the clusterfucks on the Joey Janela shows that he was on. And this to me was one of the worst kind of battle royal things that AEW has done when it comes to having anything feel special. Like I mentioned that the action felt good. The pacing was good. It never dragged. Everything went by. It was entertaining. But at the end of it, I didn't have any feeling of, of it, like you said, any real focus or any one feeling like they got over, except for the one storyline with uh, the Natural Nightmares breaking up being the only thing that felt like important or like you saw something happen during the match. And so that just kind of, to me, points out something that was probably similar with the, the Joey Janela clusterfucks with each and Page gets credit for being a smart battle royal guy for putting those together is at the end of those matches, it wasn't about making stars. It was about having fun. And this felt like that was the idea of this was about having fun, but you're not really telling stories. And if you're doing a big battle royal like this, I think that you need to be setting people up. You need to be getting people over and you need to be telling stories when you're a TV show and you're not just a, you know, annual 
party spring break show. Um, so that was a negative coming out of it to me. Um, follow this up. AEW Women's Championship. Uh, Hikaru Shida versus uh, Ryo Mizunami. Uh, Jay, what did you think of this? Um, the thing is, I liked it, but I could I see why people didn't like it. I think by the end they were doing way too much for especially for this crowd. You have to ease them in into something of that nature. Um, just with the so many false finishes at the end. Um, but to me, I I like I think I liked it, but there was points where I was just like. They, they, they're really, I don't, I don't want to say sloppy. That's not the word. It was just like, they try to pack in too much by the end. Whereas I thought they started off really good pace. Um, and they started, when they started going at it, because I'm not the biggest fan of Sheeta as other people are. Um, but I think she's, I'll admit that she's done really well in AEW. And to me, that's, I guess that's a testament to how she works. Um, I guess her style didn't fit in Japan, but um, with this match, I mean, they had a good build build up with the video package and everything. It's just, I think they just tried to put in put in way too much for the people, and I think they just, I think a lot of a lot of the audience just got lost by the end. Yeah, um, I like Shida a lot. I, 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 as you said, her style didn't work as well in Japan, and to me. I like someone who feels like they're kind of out kicking their coverage and that's where she really is. Um, and I am emotionally invested in her for that. And it started really with the quarantine shows where she became kind of the workhorse of the women's division because there was almost no one else there. And then since she's become a champion, she's gotten really good at, you may start out the match, something like this, this match, this was really the start of kind of a lull in on the show in general. But uh, this match, it was like in the beginning, I think that myself and probably the crowd in general, the fans, the people are just not super invested and not into it. And then by the end of it, she's won them over. They may not, they may not be thinking it's the best match. They may not be thinking that, you know, either of them are great. They may not even be like super into her opponent, but by the end of it, the crowd is into her. And I, I, that's a testament to to her work that I appreciate. So it's part of why I like, I'm, I'm behind Sheeta. It's an emotional investment thing, but I understand why people don't, necessarily get into it and don't aren't super into her um the same way that i am because i i like rooting for that kind of wrestler that kind of character the the kind of out of their depth like i said out kicking their coverage kind of person who's doing much better than they probably for all rights should be doing but they just pull it off by working really hard and being like really smart about what they're doing um follow that up we got kip sabian and miro versus uh Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy do a pre-match kind of angle. Uh, really, this is kind of a big angle match all around. Uh, there was some stuff in here where Miro finally looks decent, but uh, not really, I think, much to write home. And this is where I'm talking about that there's a lull to the show. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Um, I liked it more than the others. I kind of like I like the I like the pre-match uh, angle and. It really got heat on Chuck Taylor. I, I kind of like it. Um, I think they're building up to the breakup of Kip and Penelope with Miro. Um, but for for Miro, I, I I hope this is a slow burn for him to get elevated into the main, main event scene. I don't know if it's going to happen, but to me, it's... I, I just... I think this gave me a, a glimpse, glimpse of hope because I'm a, I like Miro. I like I liked him when he was Rusev in WWE. 
Um, but in I I wasn't bored by it. I just I thought I thought the next match that's when the lull hit for me. Uh, not this match it was the next match to me that hit the lull, but. Um, yeah, that's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I like I said, I think that we're already like in the lull from the Sheeta match, really. I think that by the end of it, it was decent, but then you have the post-match beatdown and all of that stuff to where it, it kind of overshadows that there was a little bit of a pop, and then now you're just kind of really setting into the setting into the doldrums of the card. But yeah, follow, follow it up. Adam Page, Matt Hardy. Uh, like I, we talked about the, the, the opening tag. I mean, this is, to me, this is clearly worse than the opening tag here. Um, Yes. This match is boring. Matt Hardy is not very good. I don't understand why you have Matt Hardy. I I think I tweeted it out, but like, goddamn, like at this point, I am not trusting Matt Hardy to do extracurricular outside of the ring activities with the kind of bullshit uh, that's happened with him so far. Just it's it's dangerous. <laughs> like it really is. Every time he goes outside of the ring, something stupid happens, and it may not always be injury, but it's also just like dumb, boring crowd brawly bullshit. The, you're losing the crowd. Um, I'm not into the character, and it's it's kind of a bummer because it, it is to think back. Like Matt Hardy used to be a really smart worker who could who could make things work, but it's it's interesting to think like like damn, like just taking a little bit of the edge off for his physical ability um, as a performer is enough to really throw off his game. You would think that he would still be smart enough to put together a match that's a little bit more entertaining than this, but he is not. Um, <laughs> you got any thoughts on it, Jay? Uh, not much. I mean, the thing is, is that I'll give him credit that by the end it got it got better, but that's just the, the finishing stretch. Like, I, I don't know. It's just... To me, I think I, I, I totally agree with with what's your views on Matt Hardy. Um, I, I wish Adam Page was featured somewhere else than this, but um, what can you do? You know, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, big big ladder match, AEW TNA title number one contender face of the Revolution ladder match. Um, the surprise being Ethan Page, not uh, not a big. S- exciting surprise for me personally um the match itself it felt like it was like if it wasn't cody rhodes it wasn't important there was a lot of focusing on cody again it goes into cody is just such a smart fucking political maneuver that he makes himself the star of a match that he really feels like he's an add on i mean clearly the shack match would have happened on this fucking pay-per-view so him getting thrown into this ladder match was like a decision that was made at some point uh, relatively late in the game um so yeah it's like him and then the storyline he disappears all that stuff that goes on but i I did want to shout out i thought max caster was good in here as the bumper um he took some crazy spots and did some big crazy bumps here um so i want to give a give a little bit of a little bit of respect to him for doing that um as the young guy in the match but also you know kind of paying his dues hopefully some of the people who saw it some of the people involved in it will respect him for that and it'll help him move forward because i'm i'm behind max caster i've been into max caster since the shit crew days i'm a i'm a fan of him i i i definitely think that he's a pretty solid worker and a lot of charisma so um you know scorpio sky gets the win uh felt like a weird choice to have scorp win it here um felt like they've been thinking about flirting with giving him a singles push at some point but you talked about Miro possibly getting pushed up to the top. It feels like a lot of the people who you felt like at some point would get pushed are starting to like 
hit the back burners in ways where it's like, when are they ever going to get around to them? And Scorpio Sky wins this. And I guess, spoiler alert, he does not win his title match that he gets from this. And it does feel like, is that Scorpio Sky singles push ever going to happen? And it kind of feels like it's not. So it also even makes this ladder match feel even less important that after it was all said and done, it's like the winner doesn't even really get anything out of it except for a title shot that really doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Um, what did you think of the match? Um, I was kind of bored with this. <laughs> and it's it's really weird because ladder matches aren't... I guess because of the abundance of ladder matches in WWE, I've just become numb to them. And so with this one, I just... It just I don't know. I just yeah. I was just bored out of my mind with this one. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause, I, mean, oh, I, I wanted to say like the ladder match was part of the lull, but it's it's <laughs> it's crazy to say that about a ladder match. I didn't. I almost like second guess myself saying it. Yeah, I mean Lance Archer was cool. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Lance Archer, um, but just thinking about it, I mean, I mean, spoiler if you didn't watch Dynamite. Um, the stuff with Cody and Penta, I'm looking forward to that because both of them can brawl and, and do whatever. And just, they're going to, I hope that's going to be an extended program. But at the same time, like this, this match shouldn't have been on the show, but I guess they needed time to fill. So. Yeah. Well, then we follow this up and it's, uh, I guess, not a, uh, a time filler, but in some ways, I guess it is. It's like why it had to be positioned where it was is that this match was used as a cinematic match to uh, to give them time in the building to set up the uh, <laughs> the future dud bombs. Um, and uh, it's a cinematic match. Darby Allen Sting versus Team Taz. Uh, people are gaga for this match. People are going crazy for it. I enjoyed it, but I have a different taste. And to me, it's really hard for me to look at any kind of cinematic match, but especially one like this. Um, as a wrestling match. Like, I don't watch action movies. I'm not into that whole thing. I'm not into, like, choreographed fight stuff. When I was younger and really into, like, martial arts and things like that, I would enjoy, like, kung fu flicks and things like that because I was just kind of... I thought it was cool. But I couldn't imagine watching one now. Um, And it's just... It sucks because this stuff a lot of times ends up feeling a little bit too much like an action movie to me and not, like, wrestling. And, uh... I, I just really like the simulated sports aspect of of wrestling, the simulated like combat sport action. That said, I mean, this is entertaining, and for like an action sequence, it was good, and it had some crazy shit that you can't really, you know, you can only do so much with it. Like, you know, there is some cool spots in it, but but again, for me, this is not this is not for my taste. But Jay, maybe you have a totally different opinion. A lot of people were into this. What do you think? I was I was into this. I won't say I was super into it, but I do watch those action movies, those even like the movie action movies. And it's something I kind of started picking up watching again. Like like with you, Tim, like you said that you watched it when you were a kid. I used to watch the same thing as a kid, and I didn't really pick it up until quarantine, which I saw all these either they're they range from like really good action movies to like B level action movies. And I would just watch them because a lot of the stuff's for free on, on Tubi or any of these streaming, you know, TV set top stations that that exist right now. So with this, like, I like I liked it, but I just felt like if they didn't have a ring, it would be better. I don't know. It. I mean, this way to shot. I, I kind of liked it, but. Um, 
it got goofy at the end with Sting and Ricky Starks going back into the ring after everything that's gone down, like Darby going through through the wind through the window and all that stuff. It was just yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I can see that. It's 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 that old like oh, and then it broke down into a tag team match when you have the the tag team matches that start out as a wild brawl with all four competitors going crazy and and they're just like beating each other up and it's like why would you then go the opposite direction and like turn it into a regular wrestling match after you start out with all the wild around the ring and around the building bullshit it doesn't make any sense it it, it really is it's like it's you see you'll see it sometimes with um like false count anywhere matches where they end up back in the ring and it's like you get it from a you know you're putting on a wrestling show idea but from a logic like psychology aspect it's like what what the fuck is going on here you know, it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. Um, well, now we're to the main event. This is uh, the reason why we're all here, right? This is what sold double the pay-per-views of, of the last show or whatever and, and the biggest pay-per-view number in the history of AEW. And I, you know, there's been, there's obviously some debate and there was some big debate on, on Wrestling Observer where they're talking about what what caused it. And I, I mean, I don't think that's there, there's any debate. I, I don't think that the Sting match, as much as it was interesting and intriguing to some people i don't think that the sting match sold this i don't think that moving to sunday night sold this i think that this show was sold 100 percent on the backs of this is an exploding barbed wire match and even though it got out there that it was kenny omega's idea this felt like a john moxley thing if you know john or if you don't if all you know from john moxley is wwe dean ambrose this still feels like a john moxley thing if you know john moxley from czw deathmatch wrestler you know then you think okay exploding barbed wire deathmatch that's definitely john moxley so you're into it for that you're gonna see kenny omega a guy who's presented as wants to be the best wrestler in the world wants to show out in something like this and you want to see exploding barbed wire deathmatch in a big time wrestling company on pay-per-view for the first time ever in america this that's what sold the fucking show so this is why people are here jay what did you think of the match um, I liked it a lot until the end. Um, first of all, I remember you guys talking about Bloodsport. I still haven't watched it yet, but you guys were saying, like, John, John Moxley is, like, the most authentic wrestler out right now. And I have to agree, just come, just him coming out and just, just the presentation of him wearing the tribute Onita jacket, him having a flask, saying, like, you know, fuck it, like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna drink before I get in this, like, he re- he's really on top of his game. And I really I really like that about Mox. But and I thought I thought they were really gonna pull this off because I've seen I've seen these you guys have seen these exploding death matches like with the with FMW and, and whatnot and I've seen them also and and I thought they were this close to pulling it off and then like they had to take that bump that bump to the outside where the where the explode the exploding I don't know platform of barbed wire that wasn't like the explosives weren't under the barbed wire like it just it didn't look like a good good spot but i guess you have to do it for safety reasons but i they were this close to pulling off and then it just i wasn't i wasn't bothered by the interference because that's what was going to happen i because coming into it i thought why are they doing the exploding death match they could exploding barbed wire death match they could have booked it in a way to have the cage match yeah you know a cage match for 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 mox and in Omega and, and still pull off the same thing, but um, I mean they, 
I was totally surprised that they almost pulled it off, but just it kind of, I won't say it fell apart at the end, but um, in terms of bell to bell, it, it definitely fell apart after the bell, but um, they were they were this close. It was a good match, but they were this cl- it was just so close. I wanted them, wanted them to do it. I wanted yeah. them to pull it off, and they were so close to doing it, and they just they couldn't do it. Yeah, this was this is a tough one because as you talked about it, there it, it does it did feel like it was the con. It was it was um, I don't know what, what were those fucking those two movies that came out like back to back that were about like magicians. I think it was like the Prestige, and then there was another one, but it was like. Um, you almost wanted them to pull it off, you know. It was this was like it was like a heist, you know. It was like Ocean's Eleven or something. You want you were rooting for them. They almost got away with it. They were so close, and it sucks because the wrestlers did everything right. Kenny and 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 John, they they did pull it off, and they did not fail. They were failed. The gimmicks and the promotion and what they put on around them is what fucked it up. And you talked about it. The platform, the post match explosion. That's what ruined it, and it really sucks for them. Because they did, they pulled it off. They fucking did it. If that platform explosion didn't look like shit, and if the final explosion didn't come across like a fucking joke, they pulled it off, and they would have, like, this would have been a match of the year match. People would have been talking about it. It wouldn't, not to me, but it would have ended up in the match of the year list. You know what I mean? It would have definitely, yeah. like, I mean, fuck, that, that Young Bucks versus Kenny and, and Adam Page tag team match won all the awards last year, right? Like, this match would have ended up probably mm-hmm. winning match of the year in a lot of things. Like, it would have actually gotten it if they if the explosions had looked good. And it's so fucking stupid to think. Like, you, th- people have sh- posted tons of GIFs of the good explosions in Japan. And even me, like, thinking about, like, <laughs> XPW, the fucking shitty promotion ran by a fucking <laughs> pornographer, yep. pulled off explosion matches better because they weren't trying to be too safe. They weren't trying to, like, you know, overthink it. They weren't... <sighs> It really fucking sucks because you could have pulled this off really easily, and they did. The wrestlers pulled this off. The the fucking gimmicks failed them. The explosions, all the explosions in the ropes looked great. They were like, every one of the explosions in the ropes I thought was like done perfectly. I think that the the rope break, the foot on the, on the rope rope break thing could be, some people might think it was a little bit too cute. I personally actually really liked it. I thought it was done pretty well and it was like... Me too. Me yeah, too. I thought it was smart. I thought that like stuff like Moxley using the, the chair wrapped in barbed wire to, to rope across the leg of Omega to break up the figure four was like a smart thing, like added in. It was like, it just shows that Moxley, you talked about Moxley's in, in a rarefied place, but he really is because he's... In a situation like this, he's still thinking about stupid little details that can be unique and, and interesting and cool, but nothing that's like kind of you know stupid. It's like it's unique, it's interesting, it stands out, but it's it still fits in with with the the wrestling and nothing is getting too cute. So, yeah, it's just such a bummer that that the gimmicks, the explosions, the way that things were situated fucked it up for them, um, and it sucks for Moxley because because of we talked about that authenticness the. The level of believability that Moxley has right now, the the, the amount of buy-in and goodwill that Moxley has, where he can show up, we talked about it, he feels like a guy who can show up anywhere and work. Um, this is the kind of thing that chips away at that credibility. Because unfortunately, he, you know, he says whatever he says post-match on the mic, but the big picture, people look at this and, and they just see phony baloney bullshit, and you didn't deliver on what you said you were going to, even though he did. Um, he was just kind of, like I said, failed by the by the promotion, and this just is is that first chink in the armor. The mo- the post WWE Moxley has 
been almost perfect. You've had really no duds. You haven't had any issues. And this was a this was an unforced error. I think I called it at one point somewhere. This was they didn't have to make these mistakes, and they did. Like the post match beatdown and all this stuff, it could have ended there. And they chose to say there's no fail safe, and the bomb's going to still go off. And I get that people might say like if you didn't have the bomb go off, that would be like feel like a bait and switch or whatever it is, but. They could have gotten away with it, and if their bomb wasn't going to look good, they could have played it off. And again, like I said, unforced error. They didn't have to do this, and they did. Um, so unfortunately, this was this is a huge hiccup, and it's not just a hiccup for AEW. AEW has had hiccups. They've they've made mistakes. People have called them out for bullshit. They've they've corrected and they've improved things. They've also still had some things that continue to be bad. Um, one of which is Kenny Omega's entire title reign, but whatever. Um, but John Moxley, <laughs> at this point, has not had any of these kind of things, and now he does. Now John Moxley's basically perfect record has a blemish on it, and that really sucks because you can't, you can't take that away. That's there. That's there now. Moxley has been perfect, and now there's a blemish. We'll see. He'll probably be fine. It won't ruin anything, but it definitely does kind of turn it into, well that's a chink in the armor and we'll move forward and see where we go from, from here with Moxley. I don't think it's more of a chink in the armor on Mox. It's more on Eddie. Sure. Like I felt so bad on Eddie for Eddie because, um, that should have really, if everything went to plan, that would have made Eddie almost five times bigger in the landscape of the main event scene. And it's just really, it's just really made him look, Look bad, even though his explanation on Dynamite saying, you know, I had a flashback when I was in jail and they were going to tell me I'm going to Rikers and I blacked out. Like anybody who knows about Rikers knows, like, yeah, that's some that's something you don't want to go to. But yeah, <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it, it just really it made Eddie look really really bad. Whereas Mox, I think it, there is chicken in the armor with Mox, like you said, but. I feel it's more on Eddie, yeah. and it's and I really feel bad for him. Yeah, I mean, this damaged a lot of people, the promotion, the wrestlers involved, and a lot of people. But to me, like I said, the thing that stands out is that Moxley has been just about flawless, and this is just the first kind of glaring flaw in his game. Um, Eddie, there's, there's people who are definitely fucked coming out of this, and Eddie is the biggest one. Um, but yeah. Uh, moving on from here, the main event of the evening, and we can bring back <laughs> the third host of, of the evening. Sorry. Oh, hi guys. How are you? Do- How hey, are you? I bet you're enjoying getting to sit back and listen to a podcast for once, right? Um, oh, this is this is this is wonderful. Yeah. Um, stardom. Um, again, it says like 10th anniversary, but I guess it's not. Um, yeah, they did the 10th anniversary show back in uh, I think January. Okay, so yeah, they did. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, that's with Utami and Micah. Gotcha. That was the main okay. event of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, before, oh, before, before we before, before we get into this, I think um, you know, obviously, like a big part of why they're able to run this show was you know Bushy Road backing and everything. But um, JML like as a uh, you know more that more the expert here, you know, between the three of us that are uh, recording the podcast right now, like what can you tell us about the, about the lead up to uh, Stardom's Budokan Hall show? Um, with, with this Budokan Hall show, it was really a surprise when they did it, when they announced it in December after their Osaka dream show. Um, yeah. it was, it was a really big surprise. I mean, if you saw that show and even if you didn't, there's a, a video they put out with, with showing their history 
And then to celebrate the 10th anniversary, you have Mayu standing in front of the doors of Budokan Hall. And I was pretty much shocked, but then I found out, like, oh, Noah's running Budokan Hall like a month earlier. So it's like, okay, I see they're getting on the cheap, um, getting the building on the cheap. And then for for me to find out that it, it was running the day before the New Japan anniversary show, um, it just really hammered home. Um, I heard on uh, Pacific Rim, Fumi Saito, he said that in December, they, like uh, Bushi Road with New Japan and Stardom, people from both companies, they came in and had a had a meeting and said, hey, we're going to book Budokan for two nights. Um, you know, Stardom has the first night, New Japan has the second night with the anniversary show. And to, but the thing is, to Bushi Road's credit, they did promote Stardom basically on every single uh, World Pro Wrestling show that airs in Japan, like the, the clip show that that's on, on network TV, TV Asai. They promoted the Stardom, they, they promote a lot of Stardom shows, but they promoted the Bukin Hall show every week leading up to that show. So I give them credit. They had they had posters throughout Tokyo in terms of the in terms of the subways and things of that nature. Um, I I think they did a really good job. I know Meltzer was talking about how you know New Japan they've been it was they're creatively bankrupt and them talk him talking about how they booked Desperado and Kotobushi on a week's notice. But it was just it's just this was the plan all along to get Stardom into a bigger stage, and I think it it worked on Bushi Road's part. You know, ever since the purchase in 2019, they've really you know Kadani and you know Rossi Ogawa, and you know once they made the announcement that Stardom was being acquired and formed in the Bushi Road fight, which has um, the kickboxing promotion Knockout, which has been kind of a bust. You know, I've seen some of their kickboxing shows, and they, they've done the same thing in terms of booking big arenas, and not a lot of people will come. I know they had tension for a little bit. The guy that um, people know they fought Floyd Mayweather on Ryzen on um, New Year's Eve and got <laughs> got demolished, but... Yeah. <laughs> But for for Bushi Road, um, they're re- they've really tried ever since the purchase to really put Stardom on the map, and it's been, I think they were they were on track to be the hottest promotion in Japan, and you know the pandemic happened and everything changed, and then Risu Shiki retired, and the day after, you know Hana passed away, um, it just really set them back. But I think they've righted the ship a little bit. Um, I won't, I won't give them all the credit and say that they've done it. They've completely righted the ship because there's still some problems there, but to me, they've, they've put it on course to be back on track and be probably in the conversation for top five promotions in, in Japan with New Japan, DDT, Dragon Gate, and I guess Noah, you know, just that ilk, you know, just to be in that ilk. You know, when I'm thinking about it and we're looking at stardom now and what stardom has become in the last couple of years and like, man, the Bushy Road era has been like a complete facelift from what stardom was a couple of years ago. And there are people that were there that are, you know, that like, you know, they're still in the stardom roster that were there the entire time. But even someone like that's in this main event, like Tam Nakano, like 
Tam Nakano being the one that's main eventing Budokan Hall, like, if you would have, if you would have, like, you know, said that two years ago, like, hey, so I'm going to run Budokan Hall and Tam Nakano is going to be the one that's main eventing, like, you know, so, someone would have looked at you and would have thought that you were crazy, but, like, they've, like, really, like, completely changed the face of stardom in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Tam, it's it's funny because with Tam, I think I joked about it maybe a month ago with with Evan about Tam being um, one of the fin- most <laughs> probably the finesser of the year or or one of the best finessers in wrestling because you know she started off in Actress Girls was doing stuff with Onita, you know, skipped skipped with them, got to Stardom, did the Stardom Idols sub promotion. Inside Stardom, this is even before Bushi Road, mm. and with Onita, you know, and I think about it, idol, an idol promotion, where they're just singing and doing performances and all that with Oshushi Onita. Like, <laughs> who thinks of that stuff? But you have you have that, and then um, one of the biggest the biggest cards they've drew was a match with Natsumi Sure and Kagetsu versus. Tam and Io an exploding barbed wire yeah, match, yeah. and a lot. Of, and it, it was it was set. That match was set for her to get over strong, and it sort of did. I mean, I know a lot of people thought that her performance was was great. I remember Sean, rest in peace, Sean. He used to run uh, Dragon Suplex, um, and he re- used to run a Stardom blog just. Just uh, going through the history of stardom, um, I remember talking to him online, and he was saying, like, this was Tam's breakout performance and this and that. To me, I thought EO just took the sh- was the show, uh, <laughs> stole the show. As she's one to do. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, for, for Tam, there's been a bunch of, there's been a bunch of opportunities. I Damn, I hate that word because it's such a... I, I, I keep hearing opportunities with WWE, but any, there's been so so many big events for Tam that building there, up to this, was, I shouldn't, um, it shouldn't think oh. of this as, like, wow, Tam's main event Budokan, where you think about it, it's like, okay, it, they they finally cashing in on her. Right, totally. Like, I remember her getting, like, um, a chance at the white belt when um, during, Mo- during Momo's reign. And I remember, like, a lot of people, like, were really into that. Mm-hmm. So it's not even that, like, Tam, like, I didn't know that Tam had a fan base or that Tam was someone that they had, like, that they, like, had, like, plans for. But, like, even if you go back a couple of years, like, you know, like, we had the return of, like, Arisa Hoshiki. And, like, that was someone that if we, like, look towards the future of stardom, like, that was, like, okay, like, no EO, uh, no Kyrie, You know, Mayu is, like, you know, is, like, is uh, very, uh, you know, on and off because she's in because he's, she can be injured a lot of the time. So, like... Who are we seeing as like the future faces of stardom? Like immediately, I would have thought of Arisa Hoshiki, and then like you look at and then you look at this show, and like yeah, obviously like, she's nowhere to be found here. Yeah, yeah, and it's with Tan. It's it's funny with with Arisa, like that storyline with her challenging against Arisa Hoshiki. It builds right into it because you know there was a slow burn because uh, once Tam got kicked out of Oewatai. For that, it was, I remember. I'm trying to remember which year it was that that elimination um, tag match where the loser lost. It was Queen's Quest against Oyotai. And Tam Tam was the last person eliminated, and she had to get kicked out, and she went to Stars. And I remember, um, you know, sh- with her being you know this budding friendship with Mayu, and then Orisa comes back, 
and she's always side-eyeing her, and it was just like, it was the slow build, because Orisa, even, even with the storyline, um, Orisa was just like, I guess, aloof to it. Like, she just thought, like, oh, Tam's being nice, but Tam wasn't. So it was, it was, it was a funny thing to do do between them, and then it built up to Tam's challenge of her, and she she said she promised she'll beat, she'll beat Tam for the white belt, or win the white belt, and then Arisa retires, so now you have this, you've reset this whole thing with her, with Julia, and to me, I think the Julia-Tam feud, it should have been Hana and Tam, I mean, not Hana and Tam, Hana and Julia, um, just based on what happened yeah. in December before, but um, I credit I credit Rossi, um, which I <laughs> I kind of don't want to do, but I credit Rossi for for building that that program with with Tam and, and Julia because they just they just nailed it. Yeah, and, and it like sucks, but like if you were thinking like okay, like for like how like lovable and likable uh, Hana Hana was like if you were to think okay, like because I, I totally agree with you that. Like, if Hana was still with us here, the Hana absolutely would have been main eventing the show. Yep. Yep. Like, so, I like, 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 really, like, it's like doing, like, the best you could with this scenario. Like, obviously, Julia, they are in love with, they're in love with Julia. And, like, you can, like, we can, like, talk about that when we get to the main event. But, like, whether it's, like, you know, you agree with how hard they push her or you think that's too much. But for sure, Julia would have been in the spot. And Tam, you know, is really, really, like, the second best option here in terms of, like, just, most likable baby faces on the roster once we get once we get past Mayu because Mayu's over here facing Yoshiko. Like so 100 100% I'm with you there that like if you know tragedy didn't strike this probably, probably would have been Julia versus Hanakamura. Yeah, yeah. But the thing with and also the thing with Tam is that um she's not she's not that young even though she looks it. Yeah, she's, she's a 30 yeah, 32, right? Yeah, she's 32 years old. So I mean, with her, they have to get return ROI, return on investment on her, and they've they did it once with that with that bat, with the, like I said, the exploding barbed wire bat match, and I don't, I was I was excited because she, there was mentioned she mentioned it offhand that it was gonna she was gonna challenge Julia to that, which I thought it would have been amazing, but um, you know, the hair versus hair match, they kind of they just nailed it because of what was what we'll, we'll talk about it, but what what happened later on? Um, I, I'm, you know, Tam she moves a lot, a lot of merchandise, and she's really, really popular. And, and yeah, it was the it was the best option so far. Yeah, and thinking of hindsight, you know, if, if Hana was here, um, I could definitely see her maybe in the red belt match instead of instead of this match. You know, you think Possibly, about it. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So, like, uh, Jay, I know that you're a lot more, uh, kind of, you're building us up with the background and everything coming into it. Um, to me, Buzz and everything that I was seeing kind of more on the outside felt like this, similarly to the AEW pay-per-view we just talked about, was like a one-match show. This is what your people are here to see. It felt like the hair versus hair match was kind of overshadowing everything else. Is Is that fair to say, or was there anything else on this show that felt like it was built up? equally or had as much a uh, kind of excitement going into it uh personally for me the seedling matches but that's pers that's personally to me right right i think the seedling matches because they did the they did the the angle on the year-end climax show in december 
which it's, it was totally shocking to me that Nanai and Yoshiko came in came in Kirk and Hall. Um, it sucks because of you know with clap crowds and everything, you couldn't get the reaction reaction that I thought yeah. I think you would have gotten. Man, Yoshiko popping up there would like would, like would have gotten an insane reaction if we were like in like regular uh times like uh uh like uh takahashi coming out would have been like you know gonna good gonna reaction because she's because she's like you know more of the more of like you know the legendary figure and like seeing her back in stardom would be a cool thing Mm -hmm. but considering what you know like the infamous yoshiko incident and to see her back in a stardom ring would have been like a like jaw-dropping scene yeah yeah uh and to me i thought that um just looking at the card, I mean, they made the right decision putting Tam and Julia as the main event. But I, before they even announced the match order, I thought, I thought Yoshiko and Mayu was going to main event the show. I thought the way to build this show was kind of like a Noah Destiny 20, 20, 2005 in terms of you know you have that legendary matchup. You know they have Masao and Kawada at the at the end. You know, and then you had you had uh, what was it? Kabashi, Kabashi and Sasaki, you know, um, you you have those type of matches, like your mega, mega, almost mega dream matches. And I thought, you know, Yoshiko and Mayu was that, and also, um, and also Nanai and Momo. You know, I, I, if it was up to me, it would have been Mayu, Yoshiko at the main event. Um, you know, semi semi main would have been. Uh, maybe the red belt match, just uh, just as a palate cleanser. Then you have the white belt match, the hair versus hair, because that would have been emotional. And then after that, Nanai and Momo, but that wasn't the case. But um, to me, I think though that really got overshadowed, even though um, when they did the press conference, the, the thing that got the most viral reaction was, was Nanai and Momo you know, going at each other at the press conference. Yeah, that was yeah. cool as hell. Um, there was definitely, I, I get where you're coming from, and, and Seedling is a, a promotion that, out of everything, I want to pay more attention to, and I've, I've, the stuff that I've seen I've enjoyed, but yeah, like, Nanai and Yoshiko, like, they just, they really, their, their in-ring stood out on this card as, like, being the, the stiffest, I guess is the best way to say it, the most brutal, like, everything that they did mm-hmm. compared to everyone else on the show felt the most like a, like a, a real fight was going on, and it, it stuck out especially on a card like this where it's so stardom. I mean, stardom is like a kind of a, a fluff promotion, really. Like it, it really is. Like even the heated. And then the people yeah. that and then the people that do hit hard, they wind up pushing them down the card. You know, like a moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or a jungle. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, all right. So, I guess any anything else before we get into the card proper, you think, um, from the build and the background and things to, to talk about, or can we kind of get weave through it as we talk about the show? Uh, yeah, I think I think I think we're good to start here. Let's jump into All right. it. Um, I I almost don't want to run this, uh, but I feel like I probably should, uh, just because I'm I'm going to let you guys talk more about everything because I'm uh, a lot less. Uh, well versed in this but i apologize for mispronunciations pronunciations i should say um just to make it clear how bad it's going to be because i'm terrible with names in general but i'm also very bad with names that i'm not familiar with um in that are in a foreign language uh so forgive me before we start natsupoi versus uh, azumi opens up the show yes you got yeah, it for, 
Yeah, got a for the uh, for the high speed title. Um, I dug this as an opener for sure, and I think that uh, Natsupoy feels like I I think I understand that she's pretty young, and I mean both of them are pretty young, right? But uh, feels like the right call putting the title on her and someone that they can build towards the future in. I really enjoyed the match. Um, but uh, but yeah, give me uh, give me some more background and some 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 deep opinions here guys i think i think azumi's been 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 around this high speed title for like a while by the by the by this point like there's like primarily where out like where, where you'll see her hanging out at and she's gotten to do other stuff um but yeah i, th- I thought this was i thought this was super fun obviously like these high speed matches are gonna be uh super are gonna be super octane and frenetic and everything but i thought that i thought that these two had one of the best ones that i that i have seen in a while like at least going back to like uh the days where like you would see like starlight kid um you know uh being 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 in, the, being in these kind of matches so uh to see that i thought was a as good as an opener as you could have possibly had here showcasing two people that aren't like necessarily on the front lines uh other promotion promotion right now and i think azumi like she could like she's like, i think that she's been good for a long time and like you know, it has has capabilities to get even better, and not and not supply, like you said, like she can be someone that you build around, and they have a they have a nice like really young like set of talent that they can build around for like the foreseeable future. Absolutely, I mean, uh, I love this match too. Um, I've loved Azumi's high speed title run. Uh, have you guys seen her matches at the Yokohama? Yokohama show and the uh, Osaka show. I saw the Osaka one. I didn't get to. I didn't get to see uh, the Yokohama one. That's what her. They open her and the Starlight Kid open up the show. And I. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that's go go check that out because that was it was similar to this, but it was just I think it was a little bit better. Than yeah, this like, match. yeah, I, I, yeah. I love I love Starlight Kid, so I'm sure I'm sure to watch that. Yeah, yeah. And it's and for people that are listening, it's that's free on YouTube. Also, I mean, this match is too, and we'll get to the second match also, because they put the, these two, these two matches on the pre-show um, for their YouTube, so you could find it on the Stardom's YouTube channel. But yeah, Zumi, I've really loved the Zumi's uh, high-speed title run, um, almost reminiscent to Azuki's high-speed title run. But to me, Azumi, I mean, she's been she's been around for a while. Um, gosh, when I start, I wa- I started watching Stardom consistently since 2015, and with her, um, she was almost like a like a comedy wrestler in a way. Uh, really good promo, but you know she was a, like a little kid. Um, yeah, she, but, yeah like, she was like, she was a literal child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, um, ever since e- when Eo created Queen's Quest and Azumi got in. I could see the progression year over year after year after year because they've really they've almost taken the mic away, they've almost taken the mic away from her and made her you know build on her wrestling which I really really like and um, if she sticks around in the next five years I think she's going to be the best women's wrestler in the world I really think that in, in, in my opinion she's mm. she's really she's really she's improved that much she's and she's still only she's only eighteen. Yeah, yeah, and just if she sticks around, she doesn't have any major injuries. I know it's it worries me because she's 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 always banged up. She she came in with a banged up hand that's never really healed, and she's usually got tape. But 
on her back and whatnot. But um, to me, if she if she doesn't have like any big injuries or she just does or she doesn't quit, because um, you know with Joshi it, it happens. Um, to me, I think you know at, at what twenty two she could be the best woman's wrestler in the world. Kind of like what Momo was, you know, hovering you know when she was eighteen, but. Um, to me, Izumi's really improved year over year over year, and and with Natsupoi, I think this was this was the right time because um, they had the they had their Kirk and Hall shows over Valentine's Day weekend, and Izumi had a match with um, Siri, which was a good match. I gotta rewatch it, um, but it was a really good match. It was for the SWA title, and. To me, I think Azumi's ready to take the next step. The only thing is yeah. that she's really small compared to everybody that you know. Every it's weird because what Stardom was, in reference what Stardom was before, a lot of the wrestlers are really small. Now they've really loaded up with you know Siri and Utami and Micah and um, Himeka, just these these really tall wrestlers and even, and even if julia isn't that big like she wrestles like a really aggressive style yeah yeah and with Izumi, it's going to be hard f- i i think they're going to elevate her her and starlight kid i think that's the plan for this year but it's just going to be really weird seeing them go against these big giant wrestlers you know what i mean i i don't know it's going to be weird to see but i i, I hope she continues on her trajectory and with yeah, that I- I was like, yeah, like I really want to see like you know something like something like Azumi versus Utami because Utami like really is the embodiment here. You know, her being like so like big and powerful to see like that. I feel like would be like the best like the best thing you could do for either of those two. Yeah, yeah. And with Natsupoi, I mean, I'm I'm happy she's she's back in the promotion. When I when I watched when I saw her watching, you know, she was in the promotion coming uh, with her Suriano. Um, because they were part of Actress Girls, and then they got, you know, there was a business fallout there, so there's always been weird, bad blood between Stardom and, and Actress Girls. There was a fallout there, and then she went, and she was in Actress Girls, then she left, then went to Tokyo Joshi Pro, and then she left there on some bad terms, so to come to Stardom, you know, it's... it's but I'm, I'm, I'm happy she's back, and it, it adds depth to the to the roster. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And it is interesting because as you guys were talking about the kind of expansion and the and the change of stardom, it does feel to me like it does, it mirrors a lot of the same stuff that happened with Bushi Road taking over New Japan. Um, and just thinking about Julia in comparison to someone like Okada is, is interesting to see how that, how that works. Um, follow this up. Next match, Goddesses of Stardom. Um, Dona La Mondo, which is Himika and Micah versus Oda Tai, um, Natsuko Tora and Saki Kashima. I probably messed up some stuff in there. Whatever. Um, I thought that there was some stuff here that I enjoyed. Um, Himika with the double Argentina back or backbreaker rack, having both of them up, and that was pretty cool. Um, Saki Kashima has a, an interesting presence. Um, I thought that Oratai, really, neither of them stood out. Like, they felt more like a unit, um, where, like, their kind of their entire personality is the stable, which I think has been historically kind of how that stable has, has worked. 
um, or at least at this point, it's kind of become like that NWO, um, even like Bullet Club thing where you put like put them in this stable and then that's their personality. Um, Himika and Micah kind of both had their own unique styles and and I thought that stood out on their own there. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you uh, what do you guys think of this one? Um, well, the tag match, I really liked it. Um, with Natsukatora, she's been sort of, I don't want to say controversial, but people have looked at her almost like an evil in a way. Just, she's usually just with the, with the chain interference and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of people just look at her and just kind of roll their eyes, but this was probably the best showing she's had in a really long time. Um, so for this tag match, I was pleasantly surprised and I think it was just, it was the right time because, um, it was the right outcome because Himeka and, and Micah, they just won the tag titles. Again, I was mentioning about the, the, the Valentine's Day Korokin weekend shows. They beat, uh, B Priestley and Konami. So, um, I don't think they would have hotshotted the titles back to Ayota Tai, but. Um, I thought it was a really good match and um, a really good. Sh- I thought it was a really good showing because I've always liked Nasuka Tora ever since she was a rookie, and to see this stage, you know, when when the Bushi Road era came, they've tried to make her the new Dump Matsumoto, and it just hasn't clicked. Um, but I think if she stuck to just getting back to solid wrestling, because she's a really good wrestler, I think a lot of people just don't know it. Um, if she, if they went back to that, I think. Um, Odeo Tai could be something of a good stable for the next year. I mean, they they were really they were sh- they were presented really badly in 2020, and I just hope that doesn't continue this year. Yeah, I don't ha- I don't know much to say about the tag match. Like, uh, probably the match that I just ha- I felt uh, the least about. I don't I don't anything on the show. Um, like the like the power spot, I thought that I thought that was no I thought that was notable, but like while and while nothing here about about it was bad, I think that like you know the rest of the show was so good that like you know it's hard to really like talk about this match when everything else, even the rumble having its you know cool entrances and moments and and then everything else afterward, it's like hard to even really talk about this tag because it gets like so blown away by everything else on the card. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and also. Those two matches being, I think they called it the prelogue. Was it the prelogue or the prelude? I forgot what it oh, was called. But, okay, that was like a pre-show thing. But yeah, yeah, they didn't. They didn't really want to call it the pre-show. They they called it like the prelogue or something like that. But they had the lights up, and and you know the main show they took the, they took the lights down. But I I got really really worried about the attendance i was just like oh no <laughs> like when i first started when i watched it when i watched the show i was just like oh no like they really bombed in budokan but um apparently it didn't i mean i've heard certain things that said like noah when they ran budokan hall they kind of fudged the numbers but then i've i've watched the noah budokan show um the last couple of days and their their house looked a lot it looked like a lot more people inside compared to the Stardom show. Both were under... I think that the reason was is they were selling tickets before the state of emergency in Japan. So, they... I mean, they stopped selling tickets, but 
it was it was different it was different seating capacity compared to what Stardom was doing. Ah, okay. Um so I guess the show proper kicks off with a battle royal. Um there's a ton going on here and this is where I was talking about like kind of the the AEW battle royal did okay with giving the legit times on everything, but this battle royal felt like they did the kind of the same thing where they were like staying pretty tight on the times but it felt like a little bit rushed at times i i never once felt like they really got into a into like anything i felt like the next competitors were coming out way too quickly and just repeatedly and you were never really getting anything like going on um to where they could like finish out spots i mean a lot of times they were setting up and they were getting into whatever they were supposed to be doing as the like the, the showcase for whoever was coming out and then by the time the next person was coming out they hadn't even finished the showcase for that person yet or that person's spot yet so that's why I would say like you can you can fudge the numbers a little bit and take a little bit longer between entrances when it's time when they need it but I guess they're just trying to rush through it I mean it is there's a lot of people in this match and it's it's not it's a big card and you probably don't want to like let them kind of bloat and go over over their times as much as they probably want to. People always want to. Um, but it did kind of hurt for me because it did end up making it so that no one really stood out here. There was a lot of interesting stuff and, like, a lot of people who I w- I'm excited to maybe see more of at some point. But I never really got, uh, like, a huge feeling about anybody or, or felt like anybody stood out. Um, and the only thing I heard anybody talk about coming out of this was, like just how terrible it was that Kiko Taro showed up. And I totally get that, like, you know, the, um, the, I guess, sec- pseudo-sexual assault spot that he pulls on, uh, on a legendary wrestler is uh, maybe uh, not the best. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it was like, I don't know, yeah. I was expecting, I was expecting Santina Morella or something really bad where he comes out and fucking doing, like, bad drag or something offensive like that. Um, and it wasn't necessarily to that level, but I definitely get why people still found it offensive, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know, Quentin, <laughs> do you want to let Jay take the take the reins on this because there's just so much going on here, or or what do you have to say? Uh, I'm not even sure Jay would have much to say about this. I mean, it's like I like I like Mima, I like seeing Mima Shimoda. Yeah. Like, like I like I like seeing Mima Shimoda and uh and Chigusa. I love like Chigusa and the guys like uh, the guy is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Like. Love her when we do when like the GW weekends back around. She's gonna like finish like just as high, if not higher than I had her last time. I love her so like that's 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 about it there. Other than that, like what can you really say? Yeah, yeah. It was I cringed when Kikatara came out, and but at least they, I don't know. At least they at least they got him out, you know, in a, in a good way, I guess. But. It's it's weird because Tim, you said it was rushed, and I just looked at the match time. It was the longest match in the show. It was thirty five minutes. Sure, you know, so it's it's just I don't know. Like if that wasn't it's 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 weird because it was the longest match on the show, but it was the most rushed match on the show. And if this match wasn't on the show, maybe you think that it would give time to other matches. I don't know, but. Yeah, it felt it felt good to watch watch um, a lot of the people like Hiromi, um, like a lot of the people like uh, Kaguma who I hadn't seen since 2015. Um, you like you like Quinn Shimoda, Momo Nakanishi, who who I saw on No People Gate um, last year, and um, her husband Makoto Oi, 
he actually does commentary for the Stardom Television show. So um, it's an interesting tidbit there. But um, yeah, just seeing the old the old timers um, come in, um, like Hiroi Matsumoto. I haven't seen Hiroi Matsumoto since. 2017, yeah, been, 2018. Yeah, yeah, like it's been weird. Like I like Hiroya Matsumoto. I'm like, I, I doesn't feel like that long since I've seen her. But then it's like, oh yeah, I guess it has been a while since I've seen Hiroya Matsumoto. Yeah, because she left right around the second May Young Classic. So, and I thought, she oh was, yeah, I think a lot of people thought she was gonna get she was gonna get a job, and she didn't. So I don't know. I mean, I mean she's been working shows like she's like on Oz and like Sendai and Sendai Girls and like and like Seedling. But like, I guess like I just like. She ha- he hasn't been- she hasn't been a part of anything important like she was like you know when she was uh like the Sendai Girls champ and everything she hasn't really done anything last like year or so yeah yeah it's it's been really weird I think I think it's just the I th- and that, you could say that with a lot of wrestlers like uh, like I mentioned Sayoriano who who was in, who's in Oz Academy now but she was she was an actress girls and then left went go freelance and um, like Reika Saiki. Um, who was in, it was in Tokyo Joshi Pro, like, it's, I don't want to say it, but the looming, you know, NXT Japan, um, that's, that's looming around, that's, I don't know if he'll ever get off the ground, that's, it's just been, it's just like that's been hanging over, and I think people are just kind of waiting out. Yeah, but it has put some people in a weird stasis, but also I do think that there is something to the, the Japanese wrestling hierarchy in general, where like, anytime someone tries to make any kind of jump if it doesn't uh if it doesn't hit if the jump doesn't come across seamlessly it really fucks up the rest of their career because you can't just go back home and go right back into where you were at like i think in america you can get away with that a little bit more mexico you can get away with it a little bit more you can like tease and like think about going somewhere else and 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 even possibly like flirt with it but then when you go back home they're like okay now we don't trust you anymore and they don't, like, just give you back the push in the position that you were at before. Um, whereas, like, in Japan, you're fucked. If you try to make a jump and you don't make it, places, like, you can't go back home. Like, a lot of times they're just like, no, we don't trust you anymore, you're done. Um, one thing I did want to ask, and you mentioned uh, Momo Nakanishi. Um, a lot of her spots were seemingly based around stepping on people and walking on people. Is there something to that that I'm missing? <laughs> is that, like, a reference, or is that was that just in this match? I think it was just... I think it was just this match. She was just kind of playing off because she almost did that spot in No People Gate, but she was just kind of playing off of that. Okay. But it was it was nothing really in this in this uh, in the Rumble. Yeah, because yeah. she just kept doing it. And I was like, God, maybe I'm missing something that I'm not getting here. Where there's like a reference to how much she keeps fucking stepping on people. Um, either way, either way, <laughs> you know, maybe that's just like part of her her style. Um, but yeah, either way, I don't know if the winner matters. Um, Yunagi, what is it, Saka, Sakakai? Um, she, I mean, she looked good, so I, I, I won't say that she shouldn't have won, but I don't know if winning this rumble means anything to her in the future. Um, one of the few people who, um, it kind of well. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it kind of did because she's coming off a uh, a seven match trial series where she just got the snot beat out of her, <laughs> and it also kind of pl- with that. It was uh, one of the matches was her and Julian. It kind of plays into the main event as Unagi's with um, with Tam and Cosmic Angels. You know the their group. They it's a group that they just recently formed, and um, Julia basically 
I don't, they kind of played into like Julia taking liberties with her, even though she really didn't. Um, they kind of played into that, and then Tam got pissed, and that's how they kind of set up the the hair versus hair match. Okay, so. that makes sense. And then uh, just one other standout for me that was a a very respectful standout was Lady C. Uh, she's got a good look. I don't know what her background is, but uh, I think that she could be a star for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, with her, um, I think you should check out. She has like she has some really interesting uh, theme music. There's a gunshot in okay. there, like. Uh, <laughs> so um, and she's and she's I think she's the tallest person on the roster. It might be her or Himeka, but. Um, yeah, she's a really interesting because, you know, she's just starting off. She's like the lowest of the rookies. Yeah. But um, I want to see how her, her how she progressed because, you know, if you've, ever, if you've seen this on Stardom World, they always start with the with the promos before the match. And she's a really, she's a really good promo. She's really into it. Um, you know, whereas a lot of the other wrestlers would just be like, they'll just say something like, I'll do my best, where... Lady C, she's really into it, and I thought the the spot with her and in, in, uh, Emmy Sakura was pretty funny. Yeah, so. yeah, she probably stood out, like you said, because she's so tall. Um, but uh, you did mention taking liberties and, and worked work shoot taking liberties. We'll talk about the next match, and it definitely felt like there might have been a little bit of taking liberties here. There was some there was some roughness with the uh, Nanai uh, Takahashi versus Mobo uh, Watanabe. Um, or is it Watanabe? I don't know what's a better way to pronounce that. I always feel like a, um, it go either way. Either way, this match kicked ass. This match was fucking brutal. The headbutts, the headbutt spot was fucking insane. For like a transition of control spot, just brutal fucking headbutts. Um, yeah, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. Whoever wants to start out, feel free. I love this match. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love this match. Um, I wish it went longer. It only went 10 minutes, but, uh, and then I, I, the thing with the night and it's just, it's really weird. Um, you know, going back, um, and trying to find stuff on the internet of how Western fans looked at the It's been, she's, I, I very divisive. I want to say, um, a lot of people think, think she stunk, but I think she's a really good wrestler. I know um, Chad, um, your 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 guy's friend Chad. He's he's gone back and you know do he's you know watched all the all the stuff uh, from like the what the year ninety nine two thousands and I forgot which year, but he he said Nanai was like a promising star around that time, which I agree. I mean, if you look back on our AJW work, it's really really good. Um, but but yeah, I think she, the Nias had one of to me. She has probably the most underrated career in women's wrestling um, and in all wrestling actually. Um, I think she's really underrated. I think if people actually went and did a deep dive with her, um, they'd be her, really surprised. Her 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 and Arissa like her and Arissa like have like super extensive like catalogs that even like you know I'm guilty of like people really didn't give the time of day to until like, you know, people didn't come back around to watching Joshi as heavily until like, you know, the three, you know, daughters of stardom, you know, with EO, Kyrie and, and Mayu, but like Arissa and, uh, uh, Nanai have a, 
bunch of work that like just no one's ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And even going back to the early stages of stardom, um, I know, I know Simon. You know, you guys does handwork reviews. He he mentioned in our Slack that like like Nanai and Mako was one of the probably the best women's match of the decade. And that's yeah. not saying some because he's not a fan of Nanai at all. Um, we've kind of gone back and forth about it, but he's he said that's that was an amazing match, and she's got so many other matches early in the decade um, and and later in the decade with you know in 2019 capping off the hair versus hair match with Larissa, you know, and but with this match, um, I, I I like the I always like that it's it's kind of like a fight. Not saying she's She's she brings a Brock element to it, but it's funny because she she kind of did do a duck under it, did that German out of nowhere like Brock would do, but um yeah but yeah like with Nanai it's always somewhat like a fight you know I've I've seen her do it's funny I've seen her do bare not bare knuckle fights but tape fist fights that leaf like leafway uh fighting stuff like she's she's legit I mean she got her ass kicked but um. You know she's she's legit and and for her and Momo, I wasn't bothered by you know her beating Momo. Um, I think if if the other seed match was reversed and Yoshiko won, as we'll talk about later, I think Nanai would have gave Momo the big win here. But um, it just didn't have enough time. But I I just love this match. Yeah, I yeah oh, go like. No, no, I was just say uh, I was just gonna agree. I, I fucking love this, and I was phenomenal throughout it. Like, um, the brutality, the physicality of the match. Like I said, up until this point, the show just felt like, I won't say like bad, but light. Everything felt very light, and then this match hit, and it was just like, okay, this is what I'm. This is what I'm here for. This is snug. Everything looks good. Even fucking like big bombs and and throws look a little bit more stiff. You talked about that German, but there's also like a kind of like a rope or not a rope, uh, like an arm capture, um, Emerald Flosion that just looks like fucking a lot more stiff for the finish. And, and just everything in here just looks a lot more brutal. Like Nanai strikes, all of her strikes just look like they're, they're hitting. That's why I even joked about like taking liberties. I mean, she was not afraid to fucking lay it in and, and, Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? You know, this is a part of my my history as a uh, podcaster. If you've been following me from the beginning of of talking about wrestling, I, I I have come to this realization that you can't really know how stiff something really is when you're not in there. But uh, watching it, looking at it, it it looks fucking stiff. It looks brutal, and then I just really lays it in. So to me, up until this point, this was my match of the of the show. I'm just like, God damn, that that kicked ass, and that was like a a breath of fresh air to me. And and sometimes something as old school as as just something that looks like a stiff fight can uh, can feel like a breath of fresh air and something different when you're in a, a setting like this. So I, I really appreciate it. But Quentin, please, uh, with your thought, continue. Uh, yeah, sorry. I just got informed that Tamina pinned Bianca Belair. Apparently. What? Phenomenal. <laughs> that is how you build to your championship match on WrestleMania, baby. <laughs> I, I just i just got apparently i just got told this happened but uh yeah um nanai Nana is great and like as much as i get frustrated that i think momo like got the rug pulled from underneath her um by like you know just to buy the new like you know regime that's you know 
going for a different thing in stardom and i think momo like really got fucked over um that like this is this is still like the best like we could have hoped for here in this spot and hopefully I, i would love to see them run it back I would love to see them run it back, like whether on seed or like they get a chance, like on on a show that's not so loaded. But to feel like there's more there. But even with like the uh, shorter runtime than I would have liked, they still absolutely knock it out of the park. Yeah, and if you if anybody saw the seed match, the tag match with Denai and Arissa, their their new tag team called Citrus Wind and. Uh, uh, if you listen to um, Alex, who's on on the network, um, she she's done an extensive, I guess, research on this, and and she's watched those review shows. Um, I can't even I can't even say the say the name, but um, yeah, they come out to one of the review show songs as their entrance, and um, it's funny because they get jumped immediately by Momo Momo Watanabe and and Saida. Uh, the future Starm champion, and it's off the races there. So if you watch that match and the tension that builds up to that match, to this match, it kind of it's kind of good. But I, I want to see the third act between Momo and and the Nye here. Yeah. So uh, after this, uh, it's the SWA Undisputed World's Women's Title uh, Shuri versus Konami. Um, I think it was referenced before we even got started here, but th- you know this match was really good i also really enjoyed this um i thought that konami's kind of uh mat work and kind of and um kind of yeah like limb work kind of old school kind of grappling technician stuff was done really well um and then by the end of the match i thought that the dueling limb work and and shuri bringing some some like leg attack stuff was was done really well so for me like this felt like a like a nice old school grappling competition by two, you know, they, there, there was definitely some, uh, updated kind of stiff kind of brawling stuff as well. It wasn't just like a, on the mat catches catch can kind of thing, but, but there was nothing else up until this point that had this much technical like limb work and the dueling back and forth limb work. I, I really, really appreciated the selling was great. I thought that Konami or uh, Shuri's selling, uh, of the arm was done super fan, like super well throughout the entire match. Um, facial selling plus physical selling was done great. Um, so yeah, this was, this was good. Uh, didn't see a ton of like the same, I guess it wouldn't say it was bad, but didn't get the same level of selling from Konami that you get from Shuri. Um, but yeah, this was, this was done really well. Um, but what's the significance of like the SWA title, number one being undisputed, but also number two being defended on this show? Um, if you can kind of give me a breakdown there, Jay. Oh, okay. So it's that, that title is probably one of the most interesting titles in wrestling. So when that was created, that was created from just, just as like a, just at first it was almost like a one-off to, to, for, well, backstory is Stardom had a, Stardom had a tour in Spain and they brought, they brought um, EO and EO Mayu and Kyrie over, and um, they had this tournament for this title. I guess for the local promoter, they created this belt, the SWA title. It's kind of like uh, almost like almost like the WCW International title, kind of like a something like that next to the their world title. Um, 
and the finals was Tony Storm versus EO and EO won, so she was the first champ. But the 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 interesting part of that title is is that you can only defend it against an, a person from a different country. So with that, um, there's been a whole bunch of it's usually the foreigner title because um, after EO, Tony won it. Um, Piper, Piper Niven, Viper, um, from NXT UK, she's won it. Uh, Tommy has won it. Um, who else? Uh, Jamie Hader, who was who wasn't on the show, she was stuck in, she's stuck in the UK for quarantine, um, and she can't get over in Japan. She was the she was the SWA champ. She had a she had to vacate the belt. Um, they put it up. It was at the September third show. It was um, B. Priestley versus Momo. And with that, um, B. Priestley won that. And then she dropped it to Siri. But the thing with Siri is she is she is part half Filipino. So she got to use that as she's representing the Philippines. So she could defend the title um, against basically anybody in the company. So with that, that's, that's how they got that title onto onto the show. But also with with Siri and Konami, they have a backstory. It's that Konami she originally trained with Asuka, aka Kana. Um, and then when Asuka left for WWE, uh, Konami was basically stuck and she had to, you know, float around. She's originally in Reina in the Reina promotion, but she's she had to float around and she said she didn't know where she felt lost. She didn't know where she was gonna going to go in wrestling and she said that Siri helped her and this was years and years ago almost 2015 2016 now fast forward she's in stardom and so and and Siri came into stardom and at the press conference she she read a letter um kind of a heartfelt letter and I think she Siri shoot cried at the press conference so that kind of set up um the, the matchup between both of them, but the SWA title, that's how it is. It's, it's unique. You could, you, you have that stipulation of defending it, defending it against somebody that's not from the same country as you. So that's, that's the gist of it. Ah, so it's the, it's the, uh, xenophobic nationalist championship. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Um, but no, this like I said, I, I really enjoyed this match, and it's kind of interesting to think of it as being the international title because it, uh, you know, it had that grappling kind of mat work style, which I always think of as more of an international wrestling thing that might come from being American, where our wrestling is kick punch and other places do more grappling. But that does kind of feel that to me that works that works in that setting, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I really like this match yeah. too. So, yeah. um, not as much as the, the Nanai Momo, Momo match, but I really like. It, it was quick, but it was I good. Think, Go ahead. I think I, I think I might have liked this more than Nanai Momo pers- personally. Like, I really like. Uh, I, I love Konami and like Siori. Like, like her career has been kind of like stop start, and like we're kind of now seeing her like at like what we what what she could be like. You know regularly i feel like and i think that we're, we're still there's still like a bunch of untapped potential there but i really um enjoyed this but like that's what makes this like a, that's, what, that's, that's what makes this like maybe like the show of the year or at least a show of the year contender right is like we go from the opener you know we have like nane versus nane versus momo and siri versus konami here 
And then we have like still have like three more matches that like if someone said was their favorite match on the show, then like, hey, you know what? I totally get that because like every like for other than like two matches, everything on here was like legitimately really good. Yeah, once Absolutely. once this show gets yeah. cooking, I mean, it is hitting all gears. Like when we were getting into this, I was kind of like thinking like, oh, I don't even know how much I want, how much I have to say. But as we've been like breaking it down, I'm just like, holy shit! I remember this match kicked ass. This match kicked ass. Oh yeah, they all kick ass. Like there is a lot going on here. Oh, sorry. I th- I uh, thought my... I thought I interrupted Jay and he was gonna like uh, jump back in there. I apologize. No, no. I apologize no, for that. Good. But uh, Mayu Atani <laughs> versus uh, Yoshiko. Um, okay, so Yoshiko is Oof. like the new metal Joshi wrestler. Yoshiko is the wrestler that only '90s kids get. Um, but like, yeah, like the ju- I don't know if it was the jumpsuit or what, but I could have sworn that I remember Yoshiko being like bigger. Is she gotten in like better shape? She was. Is she like a little bit, little bit yes, slimmer? But yes. Holy fuck! She comes in here and she's not just like I said. Feels like she's in better shape. Like whatever. Like you know, she's wearing this bodysuit, but she comes in here and she feels like just scary. <laughs> like peak. She feels like she feels she feels like Brock yes, Lesnar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like she comes in here, she's fucking brutal. Um, Otani is so good. Or. Yeah, uh, at being Mayu, I guess will be an easier way to say it so that I don't get my my brain confused. Um, she comes <laughs> out here and just fucking the the backbreaker. Oh my fucking god! Um, I I can't even think of what it's called, but like the tilt a world backbreaker, uh, the 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 proper name for it, like what Atlantis calls yeah. it. Um, but I guess Atlantita. It was the tilt a world backbreaker. Yeah. But but Atlantida is like his uh his like torture. Oh, that's rack, the tor- okay. Like finish yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that the fucking cell, the her body just completely contorted on that was so brutal. Like, yeah, Mayu as selling for this brutal, like you said, Brock Lesnar esque female wrestler. Like, a, yeah, um, it's so perfect. Like with the kind of with the you know Mario Judah and and kind of the re kind of. 90s new metal vibe becoming popular again yoshiko should be like every fucking like current uh like tiktok teens favorite wrestler like we have to get the tiktok kids to find out about her because they are going to love her so much she's like perfect for them um because she just has that vibe but then like the brutality of her wrestling oh my god this match ruled um there was some sloppiness. You know what's oh, funny, Tim? No, no, I'm saying you know it's funny because you said with TikTok. Do you know that she's she became real popular during quarantine on TikTok, like in Japan? Okay, that makes perfect sense. I didn't know that. I was just saying like we got to get these TikTok <laughs> kids that love because a bunch of like kids are starting to get into new metal. They like they're enjoying it. And there's a lot of cool like rap. Like I said, Mario Judah. And there's like other like rappers who are who are doing like new metal vibe rap. Um, which I'm sure Quentin is, has been exposed to a bunch. Um, like, they would love her. So, yeah, like, the idea that she got popular on TikTok during quarantine is not surprising to me at all because she definitely fits that vibe. Um, so, yeah, this... Yeah. She, but it, she... Oh. But the thing is, she got... But the thing is, she got... She kind of got popular for, like, other reasons. Okay. It was, like... Like, um... She... She started doing these TikTok videos, um... And I think she partnered with um, 
her friend that's I want to say is the New Japan like the old New Japan like the '90s New Japan announcer like the daughter of the '90 New Japan announcer or the All Japan Women's '90s. It's it's an announcer. I forgot who it was, but they partnered up and started doing these TikTok videos, and it was mostly with her baking the you know doing these cute baked goods, but she's like mugging to the camera most of the time, and then. She's baking all this stuff, and then whatever she bakes, she puts on the smile on his face, and I think, and kids get a get a crack out of it. Oh yeah, that um, makes sense. And that's that's the, re- yeah, yeah. So that's why she's kind of popular on TikTok. You know, this scary, this scary girl, but you know, she makes these cute baked yeah. goods. And during quarantine, she came popular, and she owns a cookbook out. So. Nice, <laughs> cooking with Yoshiko is what I I need to I need to get my hands on that because that sounds. Really cool, and it's funny because that is like the same shit as um, Makabe, uh, uh, Togi, yeah, Togi yeah. Makabe, like being Togi being Makabe, like the yeah. big, the big scary monster who's into like sweets and and baked goods, um, is is literally the same exact thing. It works. It's a niche that people are into, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead, Jay. Uh, okay, I was like, I'm gonna ask Jay. So like, you know, the this is like really like. You know, it's been over, God, six years. This is, like, Yoshiko's first stardom match in six years. Mm-hmm. So, like, we talked about how big, how crazy of a reaction, like, Yoshiko coming out would have gotten in regular circumstances if we were in the middle of a pandemic. But, like, how surreal was it to see Yoshiko back in stardom after so long? And not just, you know, be back, have a fantastic match um, and everything, like... It, like it was, it was kind of surreal, like to to see that. Yeah, totally was. Um, yeah, and I wish I wish there wasn't clap crowds because this would have this would have gotten a massive reaction. Um, I know she floated it out there, um, challenging Mayu in the the Japanese media. I would say during the summer, but um, and people 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 kind of knew that she, her, and Mayu were still friends behind the scenes, but. With with her rise to fame, I think Bushiro just made made a decision like, yeah, we gotta bring her, we gotta bring her in because she's possibly the most popular women's wrestler right now. That's and she's still young. She's like I'd say twenty seven, twenty eight. But um, with Yoshiko, yeah, like to come in and it, and also you know finding out this week that she's she's taking time off. She's gonna take three months off because um, before she took some time off because of her back, but. Um, now she's finally going to take time off for her to come in and gut through and, and put on this performance against Mayu at Budokan. Um, I just, I just loved it. Um, and I, I just praise her for it. She's, she was amazing to me. <laughs> and, and to me, I, I, she's, she's so divisive online and people, I know people hate her for the Akiyasakawa stuff. And it's just, um, it's, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. It's, it's yeah, it's, yeah, and it's just, um, and I've heard stuff about her being at shows, just um, saying I'm sorry, you know, to to people like you know in the merch lines and stuff like that. So I think she's 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 gone through a lot, and I think this is sort of redemption. I wouldn't be surprised because there was. There's some speculation that she might have a contract transfer back to Stardom because um, with the with the weight loss and all that stuff, 
and her being sort of like a, a pseudo-celebrity, that maybe she'll be back in stardom full-time. We don't know for sure, but um, I, I'd welcome it. And for for her to come back, it's, it's, it is so surreal just thinking back to 2015 and everything that happened. Um, it, like, like, it, like, it sucks that all that's, like, had to take place publicly. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, in and, and no small part, I really do think that, like, the whole, like, Yoshiko thing is, like... You know, obviously, look at Act, and then like look at her, and then like you can like easily like blame like you know, like the less conventionally attractive like you know woman 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 of the like woman of the two, and like you know just like like keep holding that over her head, and like it all like the whole thing like always felt like kind of like gross and unfair, like to like not even to like you know like like the coverage I saw of it at the time and still was like, eh, like feels like no one like really like wants like actually like talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, cause I've, I've tried to listen to, you know, um, interviews with people that were there that night, like Chris Wolf, she was there who I, Chris Wolf, who I miss a lot. Um, um, I wish she was still, still wrestling yeah. to this day, but. Hey, um, shout out though know, for, was, to her for living her best life right now. Cause she's got, is her German, yeah. her super hot German wife. Um, so yeah, Chris Wolf, you know, keep doing you, but we do miss her in wrestling. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with her, she was, she was close friends with act. So with that, it's going to, it's going to look a certain way. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, Oh, it's, you know, you know, Chris is giving up, you know, it's her, it's her story and what she saw. And it was, it was horrific, but like, I, to me, like, you know, I kind of despise Dark Side of the Ring, um, that, you know, that show, I'd rather, you know, but everybody watches it, but to me, I think that, that story needs to be kind of covered, but with all basis, like, I remember, you know, Ruby Riot, Heidi Lovelace was there that night, and, um, cause she was part of a layout tie on that tour, you know, somebody needs to talk to her, somebody needs to talk to Chris, Somebody needs to talk to Kyrie, who broke kayfabe, yeah. you know, help helping act, and you know, Kyoko Kimura, she broke up the fight, and then you know, Io and Mayu, and it's it's it was just a, um, you know, Takumi Roha, like I think a lot of it's just if you, she, she, I think uh, Nanai, like Nanai, like I'm looking at that show, and it's like, you know, Nanai, Hudson Hudson Envy, yeah, you know, even even Momo is on this show. Mm-hmm. I, it's a lot of people that, like, it's weird because that's almost the turning point for Star... That's a, it's a turning point for Stardom for where yeah, they go totally. today. But, um, to me, I think somebody needs to do oral history or something trying to track down what what was going through everybody's mind through that, through that point, you know, through that night. Because that was... Yo, even Sonny. Sonny was not, you know, son, when I say Sonny, Sonny Gutierrez, who works for Stardom and is kind of Rossio Gao's right-hand man, and he's a cameraman, and he edits the Stardom shows. But um, at the time, he was just a fan in Japan at the time, you know, and and somebody needs to interview him about that. And I just wish something, you know, just come, something like oral history would come together just to, just to find out what was more concrete about that 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 night because it's just gonna be a cloud of mystery in my yeah. eyes yeah and like especially like you know like you like and really you, you nail it there but like this stardom is a lot different in 2015 than it is right now 
and they needed to clean up their image after that. Like, regardless of like how messy the situation was, at this point it got public, and like a performer got beaten up really badly, you know, on like a show that aired. Mm-hmm. So the and, like after this, we transitioned into uh Kyrie. Kyrie wins the belt, and we have like the Kyrie versus Maiko stuff, and then you know uh uh Eo wins the belt off of Maiko. But like at that point in time, like stardom like badly needed to like get the attention off of that and like Kyrie and her title reign kind of like gave them that because boy like stardom at like stardom at this point you know in february march 2015 it's like oh man like i don't know what you do from here well yeah yeah, you you say that quentin about them needing to get the attention off of the yoshiko thing but i remember at the time that was probably the biggest thing that got a lot of people's attention to stardom. Yeah, yeah, sadly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was yeah. a huge thing that made people start paying attention to stardom. So I get where you're coming from. They they had to distance themselves from it, and you can't, like, openly, like, profit off of it. Like, if they had kept the title on Doshiko and, like, pushed her as this, like, crazy violent shooter... That would have been in poor taste and people would have not kept following it. But that story made people pay attention. And then when they converted to Kari Hojo's title run from there, that was like a that was a good transition for them. And that was probably a big part of getting people, at least Western fans, to pay attention to stardom. I don't know if if it was a bump in, in people paying attention in Japan, but in some ways that was a that was a good thing for them. And 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 it leads to something like this with with. Yoshiko returning and she feels like a, a a pretty big fucking deal, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with Yoshiko, um, that's why I kind of felt like this should have main event the show because, um, and also coming into the show, she was the seed champion, so it, it you know the result of Mayu being her, it kind of it kind of shocked me, you know I. I even though I didn't watch live, I I got the show and I watched it maybe five hours. No, I want to say five hours after the. Um, I guess you know I'm just trying to think because it's been almost two weeks now. Um, yeah, after I after because I work at home, but after I got I basically finished up working at home, I watched the show and I was completely I stayed away from spoilers and I I was completely shocked that Yoshika lost to her just because you don't want to beat someone else's top champion you right. know so well, I, was, I, yeah, but I guess you could also say that like Yoshiko like quote unquote kind of owed them that yeah like, yeah so like so I, th- I thought it was weird too like to cap off this like really crazy match where like Mayu's fighting from underneath and Yoshiko's just dominating her and Yoshiko doesn't win I was like oh yeah I guess she does kind of owe them that yeah <laughs> yeah it yeah. felt like a Mia Copa and, and, and a, definitely a big kind of sacrifice situation yeah yeah so we follow that up world of stardom the uh is this the white belt no this is the the red, red belt. belt this is, the red, this is belt. the red belt uh utami uh hayashishida versus seya kamatani um yep i don't know I mean, <laughs> I I honestly don't have much to say about this, um, because the match was 
really good, but there was just this weirdly felt like a letdown or not a letdown, but like an in between the big matches kind of situation. It felt more like exhibition, yeah. like more like you know, had like more had had more of an exhibition feel than the other than other than the other ones had. We're looking at you know, uh, Nanai and Momo, and Tiori versus Konami, and Mayu versus Yoshiko, and you know, eventually Tam versus Julia. Like this is people that are stable mates facing each other for the world for the world of Stardom title. So like, eh, like it's really good. The the work is good. Like good. Like you know, Utami. Doing her power spots and uh, Kamatani's one of the uh, better flyers on the Stardom roster. She's not as good, you know, as, uh, of a flyer as you know, like Mayu or even like as nimble as like Starlight Kid or Azumi or whatever. But see, she has a more of like a dangerous, dangerous kind of like Arisa Hoshiki kind of feel to her mm-hmm. than like then like you know like a more of like a, a graceful thing going on. So I thought so I thought that made the match really interesting and I like I, I liked it a lot. This might uh, actually be maybe like my, my second favorite match on the show. Like I think I think I think it's real I think it's really good. But like you were saying, like it's hard to say much about it when like the meat and potatoes there like isn't as deep as like some of the other matches. Yeah, on the card. I mean this was a super emotional and the the matches delivered like you know, like there was so much stuff here with the. The main event being emotional for the hair versus hair with the seedling people coming back. Like there is a lot of emotion plus brutality plus just like aggressiveness. But if you went like pound, not pound for pound, that's like such a fucking weird trope that people just say. And, and you don't even know what it means at this point. <laughs> I, I almost said pound for pound. If you looked at this match, just like textbook, like execution, this might be the best match on the show for just like execution wise like there this is done really well both are like major pros both are really good selling is phenomenal throughout the matchup is perfect like you said which it with it being power versus flyer like everything about this match is perfect oh, so, sorry to, sorry no, to interrupt you too but like utami like like utami in the last year like like just like grew up a lot yeah <laughs> like like change like change her like change her act like completely super poised and confident like like the long like the long red hair and like like again like she's like kind of like feeling like she's like like you know taking some of that like eo heel run playbook you know from before from from before from before eo left and like kind of like having some of that energy and then like sayakamatani's like she's like more so in that like kind of like uh that flyer vein but even just like the personality is like it's like utami's personality has gotten like so much bigger uh since she was first, since she was first getting pushed, and like that's expected to come with like development and experience. But seeing Utami's transformation over the last year or so in Stardom has been like, oh shit! Like, is this even this like is this even the same person anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's weird because um, Tim, you mentioned like with Julia being kind of like this o- Okada figure, um, Milano Collection Et, who's may or may not be the head trainer there at Stardom. Um, some people question it, but he gave a magazine interview and it said that um, he looked at Tommy as the Okada figure for Stardom, which is really interesting. And they've really, I've seen, I've seen what Stardom has done. They've really, I don't want to say glammed her up, but really, really made her into a different very different from what she was when she started, like Quentin said, but also, you know, she, I've, I just saw her 
um, in a face mask commercial. You know, they posted on, I think they posted on their YouTube page. Um, but they're really hammering home that she's going to be the, the, the ace of, of the company, which is, should, should be so. Um, but with her, with Utami, Utami's old aura and everything, um, I think she's really, she's, she's really done a good job and concentrated effort of remodeling herself. I mean, um, her coming out with the rose and, um, that's something she's been doing lately. She comes out, she comes out with the rose and gives it to a female fan, specifically a female fan at every show. But for this one, she gave it to Kira Hokuto, who was, uh, I guess, commentator for this, for this show. So in, you know, Kira Hokuto, she was kind of like smitten getting the rose. But, <laughs> that you know, Tommy just, she's, <laughs> but but Utami, she just uh, she she's really it's it's weird because at certain times with me personally, I feel like something's missing, and I, I know Dave Meltzer said the same thing, but I think on this show she really showed like she's kind of like this large in life char- character, but not in a vocal way, just an, just an aura way, just a presence, and uh, yeah. And with this match, um, it did feel like an exhibition. Um, I was coming into it, I was really scared because I thought this could have been a really bad match because Sai Kamatani, she's she's really experienced. Um, she has idol background, and mm-hmm. yeah. So with her, I mean, she's she's athletic as hell. And did you guys did you guys watch the the Samurai um, or the pay per view version? Or did you guys watch the Stardom World version? I, w- I watched. I watched the Samurai version. Okay, uh, so you saw the whole Hayabusa hype package. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is weird because um, I watched. I've like the last what was it two years ago when Dragon Gate got their network TV show, um, the MBS show. Um, it was either the Shun Skywalker match against Pac or Shun Skywalker match against Ben K. I can't remember, but they did a, they did a hype package with him making him the new Hayabusa, which just kind of floored me. But this really floored me because they're making Sai Kamatani kind of the new, the female Hayabusa in the new, and you know, the day of the Budokan show was the anniversary of his death. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. So, Jeez. So that I was just like I my I was kind of floored when they did that did that high package for her, but they've they've been really pushing for her. She's athletic as hell. She could do the she could do she could do the Phoenix Phoenix Splash. I mean, the only I, to me the only reason she was on the she was on the uh, the Wrestle Kingdom show was to wow the crowd for that Phoenix Splash, which exactly I mean, we didn't we didn't watch it, but. The, you know, seen from people, I've seen pictures of hers compared, you know, right next to Abushi's. So, with that, I mean, to me, it this match um, exceeded my expectations because I thought Saya was not ready for this spot, but she proved me wrong. I could definitely, I could um, definitely see that that being like a, a a major positive if you were questioning her for me coming in like moder- like moderately cold to to her and everything like mm-hmm. i said like on paper probably the best executed match 
and not even just like physically but like i said the selling the facials the the kind of the dynamic there was a lot to it that was done perfectly but there was so much more drama in matches that maybe weren't executed as smoothly to where this just felt really dry yeah it does it doesn't help if they're both in the same stable and former tag team partners. Right. Even though we've seen it over the years, like tag team partners that face each other, it should be a way better, way, way more intensity. You know, those matches should have way more intensity and just this didn't have it. But, you know, what, what can you do? It happens. Um, what is it? Utami? Utami? I don't know how I said it the first time where I nailed it, so I apologize. But uh, comparing her to, to Okada, I get it from the way that they're trying to position her and marketability probably could make sense in a lot of ways. But I think the thing that like someone like uh, Milano can overlook or people in general can overlook is, uh, is that to me, Okada as the face of Bushi road, new Japan um, works because there is an appeal to the international crowd and there's an appeal to the western crowd and while utami is is a very good wrestler and i i definitely get why you would want to build around her julia has an appeal to a western crowd that i think that she does not have similarly to okada i think that okada has an appeal there's a reason why like there's a major expansion of new japan around okada as the ace because there is something to him that I think that a Western crowd sees and they and they appreciate and they kind of get behind. A lot of his stuff is like the booking, you know, but there's also like the idea that like Okada is fucking buddies with, you know, the the Young Bucks and Trent and and the best friends in general, like Chuck Taylor and Trent. Like he gets over with Americans and they tell the stories and the Western crowd gets into him and Julia has a similar thing. I mean People talk about Julia and whatever issues they have with her and her wrestling, but I think people overlook the biggest issue with Julia, and this is kind of, I'm transitioning to the main event, if you can't tell. The biggest issue with Julia that people overlook is that she was born in in the UK, um, which is the most negative thing you can say about her, because this is a strongly anti-UK podcast and a strongly anti-UK uh, podcast network in general. Um, so people people don't give her <laughs> enough shit for being born in england um but yeah i mean she has an appeal to western fans that i don't think uh utami has so that's why i just look at julia as clearly like the okada figure for stardom's like kind of expansion and if you talk about stardom following the same pathway that new japan did when uh when bushi road took over a big part of that is international and especially Western expansion. And Julia, to me, feels like the face of Western expansion for stardom. Um, but the main event, Tam Nakano versus Julia. You guys talked about it. Uh, Jay, you brought up Tam being the ultimate finesser. Uh, but to, to win finesser of the year, when you come on to, onto this podcast, you have to compare her to the ultimate, ultimate finesser as far as we're concerned. So where does Tam Nakano compare as a finesser to Karrion Cross? Because it feels like Tam Nakano can actually wrestle. <laughs> oh man, uh, I think Cross has a beat. He does. You know, Cross has a beat. Yeah. 
Okay. okay. What, what about what about what about versus what about versus versus a kid? <laughs> Ooh. Oh man, it's. I'm so glad I just I didn't get caught up in the hype with a kid before he got signed to NXT UK. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, it's... <laughs> so I have it on good authority I... that the 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 Spanish fly <laughs> the. Ambition shoot style Spanish fly was not a kid's idea, but that is a major black mark on his uh, on his resume for the history of his career. <laughs> it's weird because I I was watching I don't know why I was watching three weeks of NXT UK TV, and I finally got to see a kid for. You know, I, I've seen clips here and there, but I finally got to see a kid, in, especially in a rounds in a rounds match against Shaw Samuels, and I was just like, "Oh, like this is what people are people are hyping him up to be." I'm just, oof, man. Yeah. Get, get he got he got signed. Yeah. He got he got paid. So good for him. One of the, one of the best one of the best grips yes. of all time. <laughs> yeah. Eight. He did, he did like three three ma- three matches got him signed. Yeah, the uh, it's the 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 Chad A Kid versus the Virgin Jordan breaks right. It's it's unfortunate, but yeah, A Kid becomes the big deal while you've got the much better version um, who can do rounds matches a lot better in Jordan breaks who unfortunately will probably never get signed. But yeah. So we'll move into the main event here, and we'll talk about Julia versus Tam Nakano. Um, I have not watched a ton of Julia up until this point. I've seen some matches here and there. I've always been, I think, higher on her than other people. But this match, she's not. She's not bad. She she's not bad. I get the impression that people are like still kind of just like upset about the way that she left Ice Ribbon, like which you know like. Uh, isn't like you know her the way that she like the way that like she did that and like a lot of like the common like uh, I guess um, I guess nabbings that like you know Stardom has done plucking uh, some of the Joshi talent like that has 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 annoyed some people but I get the I get the impression that like it's part of how she left Ice Ribbon and also like oh of course the half white woman is like who they want who they who they push. Um, immediately as like you know stardom is you know backed by this like big company but like julia is definitely not a bad wrestler by any means no and and yeah and i thought that this match for me really showed that like i was not wrong for being one of the more positive people on her in general because i'm just like i can't see the issues here really like this being a big gimmick match she brought it but she also didn't like I talked about it with MJF earlier, where it's like, let the wrestling go so that you can focus on the gimmick and the story and all that stuff. And she did not. Like, the wrestling and everything she did there was still stolid, but she... The crowd brawling, the, 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 this, the you know, this table spots, the, the big moves, like, the intensity was all there on top of still bringing it when it came to the fundamentals of actually, like, putting together a wrestling match. And never once did she, like, feel like she wasn't focused on on the story and she was constantly selling throughout it. And, and I'll say it, she looked great through, through the whole thing. Like, you know, she's definitely very marketable. I don't think that you can argue that she's not a very marketable 
character. So yeah, to me, I, I really enjoyed this. But you guys, you know, have at it. I don't know who wants to go first, whatever. Just just get into what you thought about this match. Um, a match that like completely exceeds expectations. Like they were given the main they were given the main event spot and like they delivered like a complete home run. Something that like pulled emo- pulled emotional notes notes. Like you saw Tam, you know, who like you know, coming you know, coming from the background that she that she comes from. You know, her like really stepping it up and refusing to be bullied and um, you know, um I guess it's overpowered by overpowered by Julia who's like clearly out here to make Tam look as bad as possible. Um that like as they're doing the, as they're doing these like this exchange and like like he and like Tam just like rocks her with a forearm, just like just like super just super gross. And um yeah, I, I, I loved it. Like it came, it feel like you know, a, like a big obstacle that Tam was that Tam was overcoming, and it's a match that was booked so well, especially like in the match and post match itself. Like Tam beat Tam beats Julia, but it doesn't feel like Julia lost anything. And then in the post match, Julia still has this kind of like you know badass aura to her. So Tam, who can't bring herself to cut Julia's hair. Julia's like, okay, look, fuck it. Like somebody cut my hair already. Come on. Like, I think it, it like maintains both of their characters to a T and like, you know, as good as, you know, as well as, as well as they possibly could have there. Like from, from any perspective you look at it, I don't think that this, ma- this match could have landed any better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to me, it's, you know, looking back on, you know, how Julia got the belt was that tournament because Risho Shiki, she gave up the belt and then um, Tam and Julia met in the finals in the summer and, you know, Tam didn't give up. You know, she passed out when Julia, when Julia left, uh, locked on the Stealth Viper. And from that, that going, from that on, you know, they met in the, the five star Grand Prix, Tam won that. And then, um, I think Tam won that. I'm, 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 my mind's slipping me. But and then on the September third show in Yokohama, that's when they were throwing bombs at each other, and and um, it was a really good match if you haven't seen it. But this match, it's it's the best out of all four matches they've had, and um, it exceeded my expectations. I wouldn't. I know some people were calling it um, the best match of the year and all that. I don't have it that high. Um, you know, I saw people throwing five stars at it and I, I'm, I wouldn't go that far, but, um, to me, it's, 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 it's a, it needed to deliver on this show and surprisingly the layout of this match, it was very Bushi Road-esque and in terms of, it, it reminded me parts of Kenny and Okada in terms of how the layout was. Um, you know, but Bushiroad's kind of, they've kind of, they kind of fallen in love with that layout ever since, but, um, but with, with Julia, she does, she does come out as a bigger star, um, you know, with, with her, um, if you go on Stardom World with the translations, um, she was, she was basically like, cause at first Tam was just like, no, like, like I beat you. That's all I wanted. All I wanted was this belt. Um, you don't have to cut your hair. And she was just like, like you fought hard, right? She looks at her like you fought hard, right? 
well, don't don't feel sorry. And just cut my. She was just like cut my hair. Like just, it reminded me of uh, a little bit of Minoru Suzuki and um, Hiroki Goto that Wrestle yeah. Kingdom match. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and I think Julia kind of kind of nailed it there. And um, yeah, she's gonna be a bigger star, even though I think her the way that they're gonna book her, it's they're kind of put her to the side because she she just had a had a big year. Um, and, you know, at first I wasn't the big fan of the push. Um, maybe it's just me not being enthused with big monster pushes, but, um, with Julia, I've always, I, I thought that compared to Rishio Shiki's white belt run and, mm-hmm. and even Momo's white belt, white belt run, we've, we, you, you and me, Quentin, we've had disagreements on it. I think Momo kind of got rushed into that white belt run i think julia just felt more natural in a way maybe it's because of the title tournament that she right she, like you she, like you feel you feel like she like kind of like relatively like earned that spot because we saw we saw all the development there versus like oh Iosha Rai is leaving so i guess momo's the champion now yeah yeah something like that like i was just and then with with arisa she just she almost came out of nowhere, and the monster push was there. Whereas, oh yeah, totally. A, a, a recess push was like really crazy. Yeah, yeah. With Julia, it was because of the title tournament. It made sense, even though like, because um, even they, the push was coming because she won Cinder- the Cinderella tournament, and she was going to face Arissa, but Arissa retired. So, um, it was a natural progression. You saw what was coming, and and with Julia, I've. Ever since I'm, I remember there was a little bit of buzz in, in Joshi, you know, the Western Joshi scene, even when she was in Ice Rubber debuting, because, you know, it's not every day you see a, a, a half Italian, like half Japanese, half Italian girl um, in wrestling. You just don't see it. And with her, it was just an interest, it was just interesting, her backstory. And um, even when watching, watching her matches in Ice Ribbon, I thought this would be her in Ice Ribbon. Actually, I thought because Ice the way with Ice Ribbon it kind of kind of bugs me. They don't have big major heels in that promotion because they're they're all about everything being happy and being fun. And with Julia, I thought that was the one that it was going to be the major heel for them for the next five years. And then when she left for for Sodom, I was like, that's it. That's that's your major heel. That just went to just went to your competition, and now she's going to be, she's going to be there. If WWE doesn't scoop her up, she's going to be the major heel in stardom for, for the next five years, in my opinion. Um, just the way that she's going, and just that that, like like Tim said, that Western appeal. I think it's going to connect. It's it's weird seeing how in quarantine, like how the Western fans have really last on to Julia. If if they weren't starting fans before, they became starting fans through Julia, which is it's kind of weird to me in a way. Just seeing how the you know, the promotion has been. Um, but yeah, like, um, I'm super happy for Tam that be, they, they followed through with this story. I was really scared that the temptation was going to be there for for Julia and the rest of Donda Del Mondo because you look at up and down the cards, Donda Del Mondo won all their matches except this one. So if they, if she won this one, they would have been, 
they probably wouldn't have been would have came out at the end of the end of the night with all their titles with all five members with the titles and i thought that was something that rossi wouldn't would 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 wouldn't be able to resist but he did but he didn't i give credit to him he followed through with the with the story the story made sense for tam to fulfill the destiny and do it in budokan and i it, it's i my hat's off to both of them they, they did a really really good job with this match um and i'm but i'm a little worried that this is going to be regular I'm not worried because it was a good match, but a little worried that they're going to fall into this type of match layout in future main events coming up. With that being said, it's like, this still only, like, went 18 minutes. So, like, the layout, um, I can definitely see the concerns because like, it's like, oh, like, this does maybe feel like more Bushy Road-ish than... Uh, stardom has felt even since the uh, since the purchase mm-hmm. but with that being said like this still was only 18 minutes like you know are we expecting something where stardom eventually jumps the shark and we're like talking about like a 40 minute julia versus utami match like i don't i don't think that's on the horizon but but i, but I do get what you're saying there i mean they they just like in december they just did um julia and siri for a 30 minute draw um, yeah, yeah, but they're both, but they're, they're both, they're, they're pushing both at the edges. Like they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I did not like that match at all. Sure, <laughs> it was. Um, it, if you go back and watch it, it's I to me, it's not a good match. But I, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there because um, uh, because me and Brock are still like trying to figure out what we're gonna do for like uh, next year's 100. So like, it'll likely be um us like kind of combining like you know the pandemic years so like 2020 and 2021 for um next year's top 100 so i'm sitting there i'm going through like the stardom stuff that i didn't really get the chance to see and i saw julia versus Siori for 30 minutes i'm like huh like i not sure i'm not sure if this was good or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah um fuck there was a bunch of stuff in there and i i dropped all of it my brain has just like completely dumped but I definitely do think that they did a phenomenal job here on like actually paying off the storyline, which I think was perfect. You guys talked about it, but it is like you come out of this and and I think that the hair stipulation probably was a big part of what helped with it. But you come out of this and Julia feels like a bigger star. Tam feels like a bigger star. Like this was the perfect match when it comes to that. Like you what you want at the end of a big match like this is for everyone to come out of it better for it. And this is one of those rare times where it 100% worked. This was the match itself was brutal. They worked to the stipulation and you talked about like Jay, you mentioned Tam teasing the exploding barbed wire bat stipulation coming back here. But like you didn't like they worked to the brutality of the stipulation just based on the idea that like anything goes and the hair was on the line was a big fucking deal. So you didn't need the extra weaponry or any of the other stuff. And you can bring that in later. I think you can easily bring that in, especially with the way that Julia is playing off of the having the head shave thing where she's now a little bit more, uh, a little bit more kind of the military fatigues and you got the GI Julia thing going on. Um, very, very, yeah. very rugged. So you can definitely bring in some some more uh, 
let's say, militaristic style gimmicks to play off of that to get into some brutality. And to see Julia be the one who introduces the barbed wire now as the the, the, the one with her head shaved would be very interesting to see. But but yeah, I mean, this is, this is perfect wrestling right here. This is what you want out of wrestling. Drama, intrigue. And then, as I said, when you come out of it, everyone involved comes out better for it. This is the whole fucking point. This is how you do big stipulation matches right. Because you don't... No one loses in the end. Everyone comes out bigger in the end. And that's uh, that's what you're looking for. I just don't know where you go with, with Julia coming out of this. Like, what do you what do you do with her next? Because it... I think I think you I, th- I think you I think you put her on I think you put her on the back burner like Jamie yeah. Jamel was talking about. It's like you already did so much with you already did so much with Julia that like the best thing to do is just like kind of like when you had Mayu, you know, when you were like deep, like you know falling back from her after you after she uh, dropped the belt. It's like just let Julia chill for a little bit, you know, maybe do some maybe do some tag team stuff, uh, you know, and everything, but. You know, mess with other people, like, you know, mess, mess with uh, Azumi, Starlight Kid, like, you know, even Sayakamatani, like, do some more stuff with them, because Julia already did so much that now, let's kind of, like, fall back from that a little bit, maybe until, uh, maybe, like, you know, the Stardom Grand Prix or whatever, like, you know, like, just to, like, fall back from her for a little bit, because, like, I definitely think that, like, you don't want to go, uh, go, uh, too far just just get with yeah. her you still want to like you know save your hand a little bit because right now after this like after she came across looking like such a badass like now you're now we're getting to a point where julia's probably gonna get like cheered more julia's gonna like start venturing off into like more babyface territory she's like a cool badass now so i think like you, you should probably like you know let that simmer and wait for and wait for that for a while yeah, you want to have the crowd start to beg for her to come back and Beg for her to be the baby face that they want, right? Yeah, that's what you. That's where you go from here. Yeah. Um, and, well, it actually you could actually go two ways with it. You know, the baby face run, but also you could have her just kind of all spiraling out of control. Because um, as the leader of the group, she's probably gonna she's gonna look around and see everybody else has a belt, but she doesn't. So it's. Kind of, kind of that, you know, like jealous, jealousy storyline that they could, they could do. Um, you could do, you could do so many things with her. Um, I think in the future, I think um, even because of the thirty-minute time limit, you could do a rematch with her and Siri, um, and you could actually have Siri if they wanted to drop the belt and have Julia represent Italy and keep her basically off the off the beaten path. Yeah. You know, if you want to put a belt on her, but, but yeah, um, but for a babyface run, I'd be, I'd be, I, I would look forward to it if if they went went that route. Well, like I said, Julia was born in the UK, so she could represent born in the UK or Italy or whatever. So the S the SWA title is not a bad call for her because yeah, she could defend it against anyone at that point. Um, so I uh, guess yeah, it's, it's it's definitely interesting to see where they go from from here. Um, I guess final thoughts. Anybody else? Anybody have anything else they want to say? Or I guess we can call it a night. Uh, yeah. Just like if you haven't seen it, probably one of the better shows yeah. that you that you'll see that you'll see all year. Like one of the 
one of like the only show that I that I, I feel like so far, you know, three months into the year that's felt like an actual big show. Like Wrestle Kingdom, you know, that's the big show for like then for like, you know, nerds nerds like us and everything and like even Noah has, you know, tried their hand at their at their big show when DDT's had a moderate moderately uh a big show too. But this is the first time where a wrestling show was like, Oh yeah, this is like this felt like a really big deal and like delivered top to bottom like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll go as far as say it's the best stardom big show I've seen out of out of the histories out of the history of the promotion. Um, and I remember I know Dave was saying that this didn't touch Russell Kingdom, but in my opinion, I think this was better than Russell Russell Kingdom because because um, he said like. Uh, it didn't touch night two of Wrestle Kingdom, but I'm looking at the lineup for it, and the only matches I liked out of night two was was Cobb, Shingo, and I I go back and forth with with Ibushi and, and Jay White, but other than that, I didn't like that. Yeah, <laughs> like night two a lot. No. Yeah. That's just that's fucking Dave's weird bias. I mean, when people wrestle to his taste, of course he likes it, right? But yeah, like no, this is much yeah. better than either Night of Wrestle Kingdom, especially I guess especially Night One, but also Night Two, because um, there's Wrestle Kingdom sucked this year. We have to be honest. Like I like Abushi a lot. I've liked Abushi for a long time, but I did not give a shit about much on Wrestle Kingdom. The the Shingo Cobb match was good, but for the most part. It sucked. Um, it was not a great show. The main event, the main events were okay. The crowds were dead. I guess whatever. They're not allowed to be excited. But yeah, that's that's just seems wrong. And yeah, for big show vibe, for everything delivering, for giving me like a bunch of emotional like yeah, like the crowds can't scream and yell and do all that stuff. But the the wrestling in the ring made up for it because the emotion that was conveyed in the ring really put it over the top to where I was like losing it and this is I mean this is the thing that I've always said about Joshi I'm not a huge Joshi fan but I've always been like super appreciative of Joshi wrestling for being so much better at delivering big time emotion in the ring like it's just uh, women's wrestling in Japan Joshi wrestling in general is just it's it's just better. Like I can never get into it. I don't keep following it, and I always feel like I should, because I will never argue that it's not better. Like Joshi wrestling is, if you really like wrestling, and you want to see it like executed to perfection, they do it the best because they they can hit all the spots when they like get into like the the training with each other and the dynamics of all of it. It's phenomenal, but the emotion, the selling, the everything else about it is so much better. Like I totally get the people who just like completely fuck off and stop watching anything but Joshi. I always get it because the allure is there for me. I just, I've been like the sirens call has called me many times and I just, I, I could never fully commit to it. But when I watch it and when I get into it, I totally understand why, because when I watch it, I'm like, there's nothing better than this. This is really what I always want from wrestling, and this is, like, what I should pay attention to 24-7, but I just, I've never been able to, like, follow through and commit to it and just, like, completely accept it, but I really should because it is the best. Like, the best wrestling is Joshi Wrestling, and this was, as you said, like, the best wrestling show that they've done, 
biggest show of the year, all that stuff. Like, I completely agree with it. This this show, at this point, has to be the show of the year. Yeah. <laughs> not more. Not more nah, yeah. I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to, to you, Jay. You guys. Yeah, like, I totally know, because you've done it. You're, yeah. You've, yeah. You, you've taken the Joshi pill, which I feel like I am, like, tempted to constantly. Got, yeah. got, got, got to take that Lucha yes. and Joshi pill. Like, once you take it, it's like, oh, yeah, like, you're like, oh, wow, wrestling is, like, like, like my favorite wrestling to watch from, like, the, like, you know, 80s and 90s for as much as I, like, you know, love the, you know, all, you know, all, all Japan, all Japans and New Japans, it's like, Joshi, Joshi and Lucha is where it's at, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I took the Lucha pill, too, a couple of years ago, and, um, I, I, I really wish that Mexico wasn't in the state that it was in last year, man. Yeah. Um, it's kind of kind of heartbreaking, but um, yeah, like Luchin Luchin Joshi, that's it's 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 where it's at, and um, it, it's weird for me because I was in uh, like my sweet spot is '90s New Japan Junior stuff, and I guess that's what every that's what every kid gets gets into if if you're if you're coming from my my age, um, '90s New Japan stuff and all Japan heavyweight stuff, but um, yeah, with Joshi, it's just been it's been I kind of got really heavy into it once because you mentioned GWE. Um, I wanted to take the deep dive and see what was going on. I mean, it's funny because I already had. It's weird because I had um, all Japan women's stuff before. I had. I had tapes and DVDs of stuff, but I I always got it just because it was the hottest thing to watch. So you have to get it instead of really digging deep into the history and and find just watching stuff chronologically instead of you know this you know get Big A Universe or Dream Slam Dream Slam One and Two and and get get all these shows which I got, but then now I'm I went back years ago and. and and got to got to relive and see like oh I missed out on a ton of stuff that I didn't even pick up on so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah hopefully we can inspire more people to take to the take the lucha take the joshi pill and accept it like again it's 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 I think it's more difficult with the joshi pill just because there is a negative stigma obviously with like the creeps or whatever but, dude, like I said, like the, yeah, it's yeah. the best wrestling. It really is. It it's 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 really hard to like to to not sound like I'm being hyperbolic. But the the moves that they can do with the drama, like there's nothing there's nothing else that comes close to it. So yeah, but uh, that's it for me. I should I should stop rambling before I get out of control for the evening. So. Again, I think I think we're closing it out. Quentin, do you feel like we're closing it out? I think we're good here. Uh, JML, obviously, thank you for be for being for being on here. You know, now you got your first podcast experience, and we almost wound up going for three hours. So we apologize for uh, yes. for, for keep for keeping you so long. But JML, uh, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Nah, it's no problem. Um, I I want to do this again sometime soon. So. Um, Hopefully, Stardom or someone else puts on a big show, or even I'll I'll talk men's men's wrestling. You know, 
if AEW is going to produce stuff like this, like they did the other weekend, I might have to come in again just so we can laugh about it. <laughs> more, 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 more than up, more than up to that. But uh, if we're good here, Timothy, you good for me to close this out? Please. Uh, we'll put uh, JML JML's uh, Twitter in the, in the description uh, for the for this podcast. Man, but, where the uh, fuck is thank Mario you all for listening. Judah? I hope you're next time. I, I, I'm a big dog, big bear, nigga. I'm a lion. I'm the predator of the prey that is hiding. Oh my, oh my, I have found you, nigga. Don't you run from me, little nigga. You are not fast enough. You are not brave enough. You are out of luck. Now it's time for you to die very Judah.